coming from CNBC.com banking reporter Hugh Sun. Goldman Sachs is getting close to offering Bitcoin investment products to its wealthy clients. Hugh Sun joins us now. Um, does Goldman know Bitcoin was like 4,000 bucks like 18 months ago and now it's like 57,000? This is part of their, uh, their expertise view? <laughs> well, Joe, I think the, uh, those dizzying charts that everybody has, uh, is looking at and salivating over, that's one of the reasons why uh, Goldman and others are, are getting into this. You know, they are in a client business. So when clients of Goldman Sachs or clients of Morgan Stanley, you know, call up their financial advisor and say, should I have an allocation to Bitcoin? Look, look at what it's done. You know, should I have a 1%, 2%, 3% allocation to this emerging asset class? You know, they've had to say, well, as, as a firm, we can't really recommend that. Well, that changes and that changes very, very soon. So as we report exclusively on uh, CNBC.com, Goldman Sachs is, is very close and in the second quarter will begin offering Bitcoin and other digital asset related investments to its private wealth management clients. This is the uh, this is sort of the Tony private bank of Goldman Sachs. You know, they really target people in endowments with at least 25 million in, in assets under management. Happy Bitcoin Tuesday, freaks. It's your boy, Matt O'Dell, here for another episode of Citadel Dispatch, the interactive live show about Bitcoin distributed systems, privacy, and open source software. To those freaks joining us from our various audio streams, whether that's our two podcast feeds, our Sphinx Tribe, or through the recent Breeze integration with Podcasting 2.0, um, that clip out in the beginning was our boy Joe Kernan from CNBC Squawk Box. Uh, who's currently running the largest, most popular Bitcoin entertainment show in the world. Um, and he had a lot of fun trolling Goldman Sachs there with that, with that massive announcement coming from them. Um, shout out to all the ride or die freaks that are joining us live in the comments. Uh, this is another earlier episode uh, to, to help our guests with time zones. Um, so I hope you don't find it too early. I know some people preferred it. I know some people didn't. It is what it is. We will probably be switching between the two uh, time slots, whether that's 1700 UTC, which is right now, or 2100 UTC, uh, which we have done historically. Um, I am fortunate enough to be joined here by Chris Belcher and Waxwing, the two lead maintainers of JoinMarket, the oldest and most reputable coin joint implementation in existence. Um, and we are going to have a great conversation focused on Bitcoin privacy, uh, past, present, future, uh, and, and just the current state of all these tools. I think it's going to be a very great follow-up discussion to last week's discussion we had with OpenOMS and Nopara, um, and obviously plenty of previous discussions we've had on here. Uh, I, with, with all that said, I'd like to welcome both of them. 
Uh, it seems like Chris is having some audio issues, so we will start with uh, Waxwing. Uh, how's it going, Waxwing? It's good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, this is all uh, scarily professional. Uh, I want to say that. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Uh, me and the freaks have only been doing this for <laughs> a couple months now. So, Actually, the bottle pop was the most impressive bit, yeah. It's the only audio effect I have in the show. <laughs> Um, so I think Chris can't hear us. Chris, can you hear us? Exactly. Um, so we're going to have him try and reset. And while we're doing that, um, I, I guess waxwing, let's just start off with, you know, like why, why should the freaks care about using Bitcoin privately? Why should they care about Bitcoin privacy best practices? You know, why should they care about privacy in general? Why, why are you so focused on this, this aspect of Bitcoin? Um, my care about it, uh, I always prefer to answer that question more around security. Just thinking about average users and not like either or massive, you know, massively important people or whatever, just, you're just an ordinary user. It's to me, it's mostly about security and you could, there's, there's different flavors of security, right? There's the defense against someone literally coming at you violently with a, with a hammer or whatever. And there's, there's also just like. I don't really want to, when I pay someone for them to know where my, my money came from, it could even be like business, business intelligence. You know, you don't want your competitors to know what you're doing with your money. Uh, and of course, the other thing about privacy is don't forget, it's it's kind of intertwined with, with fungibility. People often use these two terms when they're advocating Bitcoin privacy, whether it be CoinJoin or other tech, they often say, oh, we, we need Bitcoin to be fungible. And that's very true. And it's it's kind of, it's not the same concept, but it's a very closely interrelated concept. So, you know, essentially at the end of the day, money shouldn't have a memory. I think that's the simplest way to, to express it. But the fact that the, the way Bitcoin's designed is intrinsically <clears throat> kind of not like that, at least not at a surface level, it creates a need for us to really work on this stuff. Yeah. I really like that money shouldn't have a memory. I feel like that should be like a a plaque on a like a housewife's wall. Mm, you know, yeah. like one of those inspirational quotes. Yeah. It's a shame that we don't live in that world, but we, we Yes, don't. I can hear you. Oh, awesome. Excellent. <laughs> um Chris, uh so we were talking about why privacy is important. I, I think it's a very I like it seems like so basic, um, especially in, in um a show like this, uh, a discussions like this that we have on Citadel Dispatch that are that tend to to lean more technical. Um, but today, I mean, I was the last two days I've been called a fudster uh, that I'm spreading FUD uh, for saying that people should be skeptical of their governments um, and that not your keys, not your coins is a thing. Now, now I'm being told that saying not your keys, not your coins is, is FUD. So I think it's important that we keep coming back to the basics as we have new people join. Um, so I, I, just in, in your own words, why should people care about Bitcoin privacy best practices. We definitely lost him again. You might be muted. Uh, that's unfortunate. He's so he's so private that he, we, we can't even hear him. <laughs> um, so while we wait for him to come back again, uh, where should we start? Uh, I want to start with with your work on Join Market. Um, 
you know, join market. When did the project start? 2015, I think. Um, so Chris originally came up with the idea late 2014 and started writing like a, a first version of the code, I think in December of 2014. And so it was like December, uh, January that time. Yeah. It was interestingly, it, it coincides almost exactly with the, the, the bottom on the looking at the price chart here. I'm just thinking about the prices that, that January 2015 was the, the sub 200 plunge, if you remember. It was kind Oof. of a special time. Yeah. How can you forget? <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> okay. Looks like Chris is going to try and rejoin. That, that would be a good idea, I think. We're doing it live, freaks. We're doing it live. <laughs> That's what it's about. Um, so 2015, it was a ridiculously brutal bear market, as you so thoughtfully recounted. Um, yes. uh, it was, that was special. Yeah. Go it was on. quite a special time, like psychologically. I remember like hanging out with friends on IRC, and we were all just like sitting there. It's like this is where the this is where the rubber meets the road. There, there, there were, I'm sure, there were several people who just gave up because it's just like because don't forget that was at the end of a very long period of sort of come down. You know that we had so much main and people that forget this now because they all think about 2017, but we had a ton of mainstream attention at the end of 2013 and especially the beginning of 2014 because you know after it spiked that's when everyone sort of caught on and indeed often how it works is you get tons and tons of new users just flooding in post the spike you know because they they think oh this is this new thing and they all came in and they all just yeah this is great and then they just watched the price collapse for an entire year <laughs> it was absolutely brutal um yeah and i was i was sitting there thinking i, I remember having more than one moment where i was thinking to myself well, this is it. You know, I've just, I'm, am I going to go down with this ship? Uh, you know, and I, I, and I mean that in a kind of literal way, because I'd given up my, my job as a teacher a couple of years earlier. And um, I thought, you know, fuck it. Yeah, I am going to go down with this ship. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ashamed to say that I, I, uh, <laughs> I was not stacking. I was not stacking at the bottom of that bear market. Like I, I had, I, I had decided that I was going to go down with the ship. I would go to zero if I had to, but I, I was, did not have that much faith. I was losing the faith. I did actually buy a little bit sub 200. I'm very proud of that fact. Okay, <laughs> I so, don't so trade, I two of the most. I, <laughs> I got two of the most respected privacy uh, developers on the show, and we've started it off with price talk in proper <laughs> dispatch fashion. Chris, can I you hear us okay. now? Yeah. Chris. Help, Chris, come back. Ugh. He says he's back. But... Well, he could be muted now, too. Um, maybe try a different browser if you can hear us, Chris. Uh, so, <laughs> Matt losing faith. <laughs> I uh, Yeah, I'm telling you, the Bitcoin price hit like 180 or something. And I was just, I was a young kid and I was like, fuck, my dad was right. It's uh, <laughs> it it was a bubble. It's all the tulips, and yep. uh, and I I just I just had found solace in the fact that you know I wasn't going to sell, so we were either going to go to zero or I was going to be right. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was definitely a very different bear market than than today's than than the one we had recently. But maybe maybe that's just because of experience. Maybe it's just because we lived I think so, through yeah. that last one. Yeah, I think so. I mean, timescales seem to expand out, but also the fact that if you've been through it before, it's a totally different perspective. Yeah. But do like that's the meme everyone's been saying over and over that timescales span out, but they don't like, do they really? Like, I felt like 2015 was longer and most more painful than, than this one. Like, this one, like March was kind of brutal, but it was a quick brutal, right? Like, it. 
I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I've done quantitative analysis of it or something, but like in 2017 right. to, I don't know, to know when, when you decide when it started going up again. I don't know. But anyway, maybe not. It's just my, how it feels to me. Honestly, hey, I think sometimes... Can Oh, yes, he's here. Can you hear it? Okay, that's good. Great. And just Excellent. to check, is, does this sound better? I think we've lost the buzz. It's a bit distorted, uh, but we've lost the buzz. Honestly, we're just happy to hear you, Chris. Yeah, it's true, yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, Waxwing was telling everyone about how you believe that Bitcoin's designed to pump forever. Do you want to <laughs> elaborate on that at all? <laughs> <laughs> Do we lose him again? Uh, Do we see, lose you again, Chris? <laughs> it's the price talk. He, he can't stand it. Uh, that's the, that's the best thing too. That I'm I've been accused of of spreading fud, and I constantly remind everyone that Bitcoin's designed to pump forever. The most effective fud ever. Um, so uh, we've had join market since 2015. Um, hmm. A lot of time, a lot of time. You guys have been working on it. A lot yeah. of time you guys have been using it. Uh, yeah. What lessons? What lessons have you guys learned? What, what you know? What lessons have you learned? Thoughts on on the whole process of of maintaining this this implementation? Mm. Well, it's 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 difficult, but it's also fun to to work in open source software. I think it's there's something very sort of beautiful about the process. And um, uh, in terms of learning, like. I mean, the thing about CoinJoins is this weird case where, on the one hand, it seems like this super technical thing, and it is. On the other Hello, hand, Jimmy. oh, he's back again. <laughs> okay, right. Sorry about that. No worries. Oh, Matt, are you there? <laughs> we lost Matt. No, no, no. I'm here. I'm here. I'm, oh, I'm okay. just, I don't want to jinx it. Continue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Chris, go, go. Um, I think a thing I've learned is because join markets based on like a market mechanism with the makers and takers, I've learned that you can never, there's often things that you'll try to predict with a market and then mm -hmm. you'll just be completely wrong because markets and users, they, they, always, they have their own mind. So for example, mm -hmm. right at the beginning of join market, we had this, this kind of operation. Uh, there was a script called patient send payment. And the mm -hmm. idea was that you could be a market maker and then you could send a coin join, um, but it, it would be much cheaper because you wouldn't be paying fees. And I thought a lot of people use this and it would be a way to um, have more payments merged into one transaction. And then it turned mm. out that was basically never used. So the script was broken for about a year and nobody even noticed. Mm. Mm. That's an interesting one, that, yeah. Uh, so actually, now that I now that we have you, uh, and let, let's pull it back for a second. Can we just explain to the freaks what makes uh, join market special? How does join market work? Let's explain the maker-taker function, et cetera. Yeah, so the biggest part of it is um, there is uh, obviously coin joins require many people to come together in one transaction. And the way join market works is that one of the one of the entities in a coin join can control things about it. They'll control the amount and they'll control the time of when it actually happens. And for this privilege, they have to pay a small fee. And everyone else in the coin join is just waiting there. They wait. They have their computers always turned on. And they'll do coin joins. They basically have an advert that says, I'll do any amount of coin join at any time you want. And all I want is a fee, like 100 Satoshi or whatever it might be. And then the effect of that means that if you're this taker, i.e. you take liquidity from the marketplace, then you can make a coin join for whatever amount you want at whatever time you want. Um, and the other people in the coin join, they'll just they'll go along with you. Like They'll earn their fee, and they don't care what the amount is. And that's the, that's the unique thing that join market does. 
and there's there's something about there's something to be said or highlighted about the idea of when trying to set up these systems to create a financial incentive to participants yeah. to to act to act not necessarily in their best interest but greedy, right? Yeah, that's right. So historically, there was actually an earlier CoinJoin implementation called Dark Wallet. Right. And that was a little bit like join market, but it didn't have any fees. So people were there was also you could call them makers and takers, but the makers didn't make any money. They just they were just expected to sit there and do coin joins without you know leave their computer on all the time for no reason. And of did, course, the problem they, was they, that there were no makers. Yeah, but they didn't actually make that distinction of role, did they? Because they there was yeah, just there was, a, there was a lot. There was a, they called it a, a lobby server, and essentially the idea was you want to do a coin join, you make the intention, and you would be sitting on the lobby server waiting for. Actually, they were only doing two parties, so they would just wait for one other party yeah. to do a coin join. Yeah, yeah. Did they it ever a, actually fully launch? Oh yeah, yeah. It was used quite a bit. Yeah. yeah, I remember being like really hyped for it, and then just like it just the hype died. <laughs> I remember about three years after it stopped, they stopped updating it like i had a user come to me and i had to like extract his coins it took forever it was really and, but that's the thing they just abandoned it after like i don't know six months of development they worked really hard on it and then they just said no nah, we don't care anymore and everyone was just left high and dry kind of funny yeah that's yeah I, that's one of the things we see a lot with open source software um I, I guess if we're going down in history right we also had before that we had what shared send Right, yep. from blockchain.info. No disclosure, no one should use the blockchain.info anything uh nowadays. Yeah. Um do you guys remember shared send at all? Do we want to talk about that? Or I don't even know. Yeah, I remember, but they didn't they didn't have equal output coin joins. That's so right. if you saw this coin join on the blockchain, it was impossible, in fact, really plausible, really easy to actually unmix them and say these inputs go to these outputs. Except, except they did actually use a pretty large anon set. So it comes back to that whole discussion about uh, subset sum, you know, feasibility of subset sum extraction. It was kind yeah. of interesting, but of course, it's not a cryptographically strong concept because you know individual payments might be trivially easy to find, even if the entire graph might be difficult to to disentangle. And it was, it was like custodial privacy, right? Because they they didn't they didn't force Tor or anything, so you just connected through their web wallet, and just a lot of people probably weren't even using VPNs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you had to use their web wallet to use it. <laughs> yeah. So that's why they stopped it, presumably, because it became a massive liability for them. And it didn't well, really work, right? Yeah, yeah there was speculation. Know. Yeah, it was speculation, certainly. I speculated it. And I think a lot of other people did that they were probably somebody sort of quietly knocked on their door and said, Turn that off. And they said, okay, <laughs> because, you know, I think it was used quite heavily in those early days. The UX was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then. The other, and then before that, and still today, right? Uh, probably one of the most common, and it's so funny because, like, in technical communities, we almost never talk about it. Uh, one of the most common Bitcoin privacy tools is this idea of a custodial of custodial mixer, where you send your coins in, and they send you yeah. someone else's coins. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Silk Road had their own, right? And then since then, there was a bunch of independent services that popped up. Like was like Bitcoin fog and like Bitmixer and stuff, yeah. Um, and the concern there was always that they could be honeypots, right? Yeah, and they could steal your money as well. Like mm -hmm. you, you'd maybe use right. them for small, you know, if you want to buy an anonymous VPN, but you wouldn't use them with your life savings if they could just walk mm -hmm. away with them. But then the yeah. positive side of it was it completely breaks the transaction graph. Yeah, if you yeah. if you trust them, right? Yeah, yeah. although yeah. 
even that's not a complete panacea, but it, but it certainly in principle is is better from blockchain analysis point of view. Yeah. Okay, so we just went down history road, enter joint market in 2015, right? Yeah. Creating creating this this market with makers and takers, this idea that you don't have to have a centralized entity involved at all, um, and that the whole thing is is P to P. Uh, with this financial incentive for people to provide 24-7 liquidity. Um, revolutionary, right? Uh, what, 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 is it fair to say, I, I think, uh, you tell me if it's unfair to say, but is it fair to say that, that coin join adoption, join market adoption has not meet it, met your expectations of, of what you had hoped that the amount of people, services, users would be using join market. Yeah, I guess in one way you could, um, I way back at the start in 2016 or wherever, I sometimes thought exchanges would use this. And the idea being that an exchange doesn't want its traders to be spied on. Like if a trader sends loads of coins to an exchange, someone could front run them, like, you know, open a short position before they, before the coins confirm. So I thought exchanges would use some kind of coin join or join market, and that never happened. Obviously, now we know um, because the regulator stopped them, right? So they won't, uh, they won't do it for that reason. Um, so yeah, I guess um, it hasn't really met my expectations. Also, back then, I've just remembered now, um, back then, this was before the, the block size debate, before people really, like the whole community really accepted the idea that minor fees were were like a big deal that you always had to plan for them. In fact, in the very first versions of Join Market, the minor fee was a constant number. It was 10,000 Satoshis, like for every coin join. Uh, just because fees were so cheap that every transaction would confirm. Um, and then, and because these, because coin joins are bigger than regular transactions, then they, they're a bit more expensive. Uh, so in that sense, that's maybe another reason why they haven't been as adopted as you might hope. It's not that every single transaction is a coin join. I mean, it's right. been so traders they joins and they're expensive. Right, more. the cheapest way to use Bitcoin. I've just i've i've come to i've come to the the realization or the understanding with myself that I think using Bitcoin privately will always be the more expensive option. Am I no, wrong? No, I don't agree because no, Lightning is quite yeah. private and and it's also cheaper. Like the way right, but you wouldn't, could. Wouldn't custodial lightning be cheaper and less private? Oh, purely yeah, well, custodial. I guess, like, PayPal would it... be even even cheaper as well. Just a completely centralized thing where, yeah. yeah, okay, you're right. That if you if you took away all other trade-offs, then the cheapest way of using it would be to have something that can censor you, that can steal your money, and that can spy on you. Well, I was thinking more from like on-chain because because yeah, layer layer the second layer side chain stuff like that does change the equation a little bit. But on-chain, right? Even if we get if we, we get we get Schnorr, Taproot, signature aggregation later, right? Which is it's not even coming with Taproot. But let's say we get it later. Cross-input aggregation is not coming. S right. Signature aggregation in multisig is coming, but that's... Right, uh, right. Cross-input signature yeah. aggregation. Yeah. Um, if if even, even when we get all that, on-chain, the cheapest option in a high-fee, sustained high-fee environment is to combine all your UTXOs into a single UTXO and spend from that. Yeah, you could put it that uh, way, but then if I you, don't think that's exactly if you look right. at it another way, no, you can look at it another way that suppose <laughs> you've been censored, <laughs> uh, suppose you want to use Bitcoins and you get censored and your funds get f stolen, basically they get frozen, you've lost 100% of your money, 
um, if you put it in a custodial system. But if you then pay your own minor fees and use your own wallet that you control, you only lose 10% for minor fees, right? So if you take into account censorship and having your funds frozen, then it might end up being more expensive to use a custodial solution. Right, but I'm saying not custodial. I'm saying on-chain. We saw this in 2017. A lot of the large education accounts and stuff on, on Twitter and Reddit uh, we're, we're, and we're suggesting that people, you know, combine all their UTXOs into a single into a single output so that their fees going forward, their fee burden going forward would be the lowest possible. Yeah, but can, yeah. I, can I just can I just say that, that it's not I don't think it's technically correct to say that um, the cheapest option would always be uh, non coin join, because in the case of cross input aggregation, uh, CoinJoin, you you at least save some of the the so to speak header bytes, the, the 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 constant overhead. It's a very small difference, but sort of philosophically, it's kind of critical. And I think one of the reasons that a lot of the what you might call Bitcoin graybeards have have been sort of not particularly enthusiastic about CoinJoin, but they're more enthusiastic about some future version of CoinJoin of the type that you just described, involving Schnorr and cross input signature aggregation, because they're thinking, well, even if it's only one cent cheaper, if there's an economic incentive rather than just purely a privacy incentive, it encourages the crowd to come in. Um, right, like a good example of that is, is the often, like often floated something is, is this idea that make every lightning open a coin joint, right? Yeah, and then I'm the lightning opens that. cheaper and more private, and then you go into lightning for forward privacy. Yeah, and also the nice thing about lightning with CoinJoin is it, it, it tends to somewhat ameliorate or completely solve the uh, denomination problem, which is one of the main reasons Join Market was created, as Chris explained earlier. The fact that um, you know it's a problem with CoinJoin is that you want to have equal sized outputs, but then you've got to you've got to have a negotiation agreement on what the size of that output is. In the case of lightning, you don't really care so much about what the size of the channel is. Yeah. I yeah, I, I mean, I still think you're you're in a situation where to use Bitcoin privately, you have to make more on-chain transactions than not. Today, that's definitely true. Yeah. Do we think yes. that's going to change going forward? I don't know. Probably not. It's difficult to be sure. And then, uh, it, I, but hang on, hang on. I, I would argue that we could say that that's true today, but only under a certain perspective. I mean, clearly, if you see Lightning as a privacy technology. As as not just a scalability technology, then it's clearly the case that it you, you you're reducing on-chain usage from using it rather than increasing. Right. And that would be true for other second-layer technology in theory, although we don't really have anything well built out. Okay, but we all agree that so so hopefully we can get it cheaper than not using Bitcoin privately. But we all agree that for adoption, you know, that one of the main things is keeping costs down, right? Yeah, um, yeah. To get more people to use privacy. Another thing I was thinking, and I don't know if I'm just going to throw us into a tangent, but fuck it. Um, you know, today I was arguing with people about all the, the, the newest, hottest craze in Bitcoin land is these interest bearing accounts. Oh, yeah. um, oh, and, that's... you know, private Bitcoin users, Bitcoin users who care about their privacy, like they can't get 6% interest um, mm-hmm. in a regulated custodian. Um, <laughs> so in a, in a way... That kind of changes the mathematics, I guess, a little bit, right? It comes back to Chris's point about risk, though, doesn't it? I mean, he's pointing out that you can't think of privacy without the the concomitant, you know, risk well, of the, the the cost. The we are, the reason I personally I'm not using those kind of services today is 
mainly because I think it's very dangerous. So if somebody says they're going to give me 6% per annum on Bitcoin that they take from me and hold in their wallet, I'm going to think very differently than, than, than the case of, you know, the fiat, current fiat system where I just maybe hold some stock when I never really owned it in the first place. Um, I mean, yeah, but we, we agree there. Obviously, we all agree on that. Like, I would never use that service. I tell, I tell my audience not to use to consider the risks, like to actually appropriately assess the risk. People don't, they're not able to, they're, I, but, but then I'm on Twitter, you know, and I, I tell people not your keys, not your coins. And they're like, it's not Mt. Gox anymore. The industry has moved up. There's, it's not like it's riskless to hold your own keys. More people will lose their money if they go self custody. Yeah, this time and, it's different. Yeah, <laughs> and like I, that's fine. Like I believe that everyone should be able to. You know, options are good, and yeah. people should do what they want to do. I'm not trying to stop anyone from doing yeah. it, but the Bitcoin privacy conversation is one where 6102 is in the comments. This is also the 6102 show because he doesn't dox his voice. Um, so he joins us in the live comments and he's telling me he wants, he wants the freaks to be aware that those people aren't using Bitcoin. Yes. Um, yeah. we do ideologically agree 61 or two. Um, but I just, it's the Bitcoin privacy discussion is one where we, we need, we need more people to care, right? Because these tools aren't effective unless we have proper scale to them. Right. But that's why that's why we I always come back to this concept of steganographic, you know, like we, we're always concerned about increasing the anonymity set and trying to force people to use complicated privacy software or privacy software that's in any way inconvenient, as you correctly point out, is really problematic if you want to increase your anonymity set like that. But then on the other hand, if we try to use steganographic tools, whether they be PayJoin or some variant of CoinSwap or even Lightning, because in a future, Lightning may well be steganographic on chain. Uh, is everything okay? Oh, that's just the chat window. Yeah. So, so it was a scammer. So I was, I was blocking. Oh, I, got, her. I got you. Yeah. So uh, the thing about okay. the steganographic is it flips that whole equation on its head, right? Because um, you, you suddenly, what you're trying to do is, is hide in the crowd of people who aren't using your technology, rather than hide in the crowd of people who are using your technology. Yeah. So making pay joins and lightning channels that look the same as other transactions and coin swaps, they all come under steganographic technology. Yeah. Right. So should we jump into that? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> let's talk about something really interesting. I think this stuff um, is... So I, I, let's start with PayJoin. PayJoin is the lowest hanging fruit. Uh, there's mm -hmm. been a push to try and integrate it into wallets. Um, mm -hmm. high, did, high, high, yeah, go on. Hit us. Did you see Electrum Wallets uh, seemed mm. quite interested in implementing it? I think that's quite a big deal. Yeah, that was a champagne. To do it that would be so great um i i, I think and it's and so on the on the mobile wallet front what we have blue wallet has already integrated it i believe uh, i think they've done it yeah maybe so, there's there's a list somewhere i think on the bitcoin wiki there's a more reliable yes. list on, on the bit Adrian adoption has, list yeah maybe we could pull out that link for some for guys to look at um was it on the privacy wiki uh, on, the, i'll the, find it for you okay chris okay. is gonna get it yeah yeah, so yeah, so there's I, uh, a few there's a few wallets who have at least uh, implemented um, send aside, but obviously ideally, yeah, thanks, Chris, that's it. Ideally, we want um, sender and receiver side. 
Um, so receiver, like in join market, uh, we've implemented it with a hidden service. So it basically will start, off an start up an ephemeral hidden service. And you can do this in the GUI or, or on the command line. And it will give you a, a BIP21 URI. And you can just copy it and send it to your sender or QR code to scan it. And then you can um, then you can send the page join over Tor. So it's cool, I think. There is one thing with PayJoin that should uh, we should say with um, from like a big picture point of view of how actually mm. it works a bit different to equal output coin joins like with Join Market or Wasabi, yep. and that with those coin joins it's about you as a user transacting with someone who might spy on you. For example, you'd, you'd send a coin join to an exchange, and you know the exchange will spy on you. Um, but with PayJoin, it's a bit different. The way PayJoin works is it's a customer and a merchant together protect their privacy against other people. So yeah. it only works if you know the if you're a user and you know the merchant is not trying to spy on you. So probably what will happen, what I you know I predict um, in the future, the people that adopt PayJoin will be merchants and like uh, you know businesses which are already somehow victims of of surveillance anyway. So that would be Bitcoin casinos or P2P exchanges or places like that or donation uh, nonprofit donations. More likely to be like a smaller merchant rather than a. Yeah. Not, like, for example, uh, Coinbase or Tesla something. or something. <laughs> as, yeah. if Coinbase, as if Coinbase would do this. <laughs> yeah, I know it's laughable. <laughs> and you don't even you don't even really want to, right? Because it's a trusted mm. it's a trusted two party yeah thing, right? So like well, you're, no, you're... You, you might it's it's only trusted in terms of privacy with the two parties, but for everyone else who just passively looks at the blockchain, it does really improve your privacy. But are aren't they are they sharing more than aren't they sharing more than one input? in the coordination phase yeah yeah they do so they they the, the customer and the merchant they can unmix the pay join easily but nobody else can but i'm saying when i use pay join with the merchant does that merchant only see the input i provide or does does it see multiple inputs in my wallet well that depends on your wallet it's just it depends on what your wallet selects just like any other payment right yeah right so you're not actually giving the merchant any you're not giving the other party any extra information no more than no, you would. Not more, not more than a regular payment. payment. Yeah. Right. And then on chain, someone looking at it on chain, uh, it breaks the common input ownership heuristic. So, yeah. so on chain, you can't tell whose input is what, right? There'll, uh -huh. there'll be two inputs in the, usually there'll be two inputs in the input side of the transaction, and one is coming from one person, one's coming from the receiver, and one's coming from the sender, and you don't know which is which. Usually, yeah. yeah. That's right. And the, the, of course, the crucial point there is is not just that, that you wouldn't be able to untangle it, but that you wouldn't necessarily, as a blockchain analyst, even know it was a page join. That's that's the goal of the steganographic concept. You know that we that we hope that it won't be obvious that it's a page join. Now, in fact, there's some little technical details there, but I mean, just generally speaking, like there's a there's a particular heuristic that tends to get violated in page joins. It doesn't have to be violated, uh, and but the thing is that that heuristic can easily and quite often is violated by normal spending transactions anyway. So without delving too much into the details, just essentially, it's hard to know that it's a page join. It may be almost impossible for an outsider to know that, and it's also easy for the outside observer to be totally misled and think that the payment amount is X, whereas actually it's X minus Y. And for, the, for that observer to think that two inputs are uh, co-owned when they're not actually co-owned, uh, I'm sure uh, Chris will, will, will remember as well as I do the funny examples of um, what's it called, WalletExplorer.com that used to like regularly mark all of our uh, join market inputs as being coming from Mount or connected to Mount Cox, <laughs> because yeah, uh, yeah. even though they were absolutely unrelated, I'd never like connected with Mount Cox whatsoever um, because the join market coin joins had been 
joined with uh, people who had interacted with Mount Gox or uh, therefore Wallet Explorer thought, thought I was, you know, a Mount Gox user or something. <laughs> so before we move on, um, I, I have up on the screen for the people watching on video and for the audio freaks, uh, it, it appears the software wallets that have integrated so far along this new standard is BTC Pay Server, Join Market, Wasabi Wallet. Wasabi's only for sending, Blue mm-hmm. Wallet's only for sending, Sparrow's only for sending. Um, Samurai has a has a separate um, pay join implementation that's not mm-hmm. according to the standard that they call stowaway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Electrum listed as planned. Then hardware wallets, cold cards, the only one supports it because they're the only one that's Bitcoin only and actually gives a shit. Um, <laughs> payment processors, um, BTC Pay, because really that's the the main used payment processor now. That's a huge huge bonus for us. Um, hmm. So. With all that said, let's steel man pay joins. What is the what are the negatives? What are the negatives of pay joins? Why can't we just rely on pay joins as a Bitcoin privacy all encompassing solution? It's interactive uh, okay. and it requires a hot wallet. <laughs> okay, you you go, Chris. Right. <laughs> yeah, and on adding adding to that, there's also uh, people have to actually adopt it. Hmm. So with with equal output coin joins like with Join Market, for example, you don't have to bother the merchant to get them to adopt something new. You just pay to a regular Bitcoin address. But with PayJoin, you have to like nudge them, if, you know, if, um, which actually listeners should consider doing. If they transact with a Bitcoin mm. casino or with something mm. like that, who they think would benefit, they should nudge them and say, look, I'm your customer. Can you adopt PayJoin? I think it would be great. Um, but the fact that you have to do this and the fact that a merchant can choose to not adopt it, like Coinbase is probably never going to adopt it, means you can, they can stop it in that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would be the what like let explain to the freaks what interactive means what you know, the hot wallet risk yeah so, the, so that would the, mean, yeah you oh, go, go back okay yeah so so that one um I, I was thinking on the more technical level chris's answer is very good but my my answer was more the reason why this style of coin join wasn't sort of treated too seriously as an option back in the day like starting from 2013 when people started discussing it on bitcoin talk i think because this is how i thought anyway was the Oh, that's kind of messy because you have to like actually in real time negotiate the uh, the payment transaction with the receiver, which is kind of related to what Chris actually just said, because it, the receiver has to be involved. The receiver of the payment has to be involved. And that's it's interactive specifically in the sense that you don't just send a payment like like the normal. Let's think about the normal payment workflow. You, you, you have some um, merchant, they uh, you, you negotiate an invoice, they send you an address uh, as in a Bitcoin address. And then it's entirely up to you to take your time and use your own wallet on your own machine and calculate the transaction, sign the transaction and send the transaction. And the the merchant has to do absolutely nothing. They just wait until it arrives. Whereas here, we've got to have a process whereby the sender actually sends a network message to to the merchant and the merchant do stuff and then send back another message to the sender before the sender can finally send out this specific style of pay join payment. So this it's it's not a big interaction, but any interaction at all is obviously like an order of magnitude worse than no interaction. So because of that, that's why, for example, in Join Market, I had to go through a whole load of like testing and, and figuring out how to set up an ephemeral Tor Onion service specifically for this payment. And it you know it fires up. Thankfully, the way Tor works nowadays, I mean, that's a tangent as well, I guess, Tor v3. But thankfully, the way Tor works nowadays, it's reasonably reliable and reasonably quick to just start up a hidden service, 
and then the sender can send a message and the receiver can send a message back. So that interactivity is clearly a, a big negative. The other big negative is the hot wallet aspect specifically for a merchant. So again, thinking of the standard model of a merchant receiving payments, and this is how it's implemented by default in BTC Pay Server, is that you are going to use something like an XPub, and it could be like an external XPub, or it could be something that BTC Pay Server has within its own software. Either way, it means that when a customer comes along and tries to make a payment, you can simply farm out an address to them to pay to that address, and that's all you have to do. And you don't have to worry about whether the server or the infrastructure on which you've put this BTC Pay Server instance is as secure because you, you're not holding private keys. You're just holding XPubs, which will farm out addresses. So that right, like the is, average person yeah. who knows nothing can just easily just have it just automatically go to their hardware wallet. They don't have to yep. worry about securing the server. Most of these BTC pay servers are held on, on major cloud providers to have uptime, right? And just, yep. they don't control the hardware. Early days of Bitcoin. Remember yep. early days of Bitcoin? It's like everyone's servers were getting hacked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the thing is, in in kind of replying to those sort of a steel man of a steel man, the interactivity <laughs> that Black's being talked about is mm. also the same thing happens for Lightning. So for yeah. Lightning, you need coins right. on a on a hot wallet, and it requires information being sent back and forth. Mm -hmm. And um, so what was the second thing you said about uh, if anything, Lightning easy... probably has a has worse hot wallet risk in that respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and in practice, people aren't going to like. I mean, it's it's the same thing with Lightning. They don't do all this stuff themselves. They have software to do it, which they but is, just is, install and click. So I have a couple other steel mans. Uh, first of all, higher fees. PayJoin increases your fees, right? Because you have more. You're automatically adding an un, uh, from a fee perspective an unnecessary input. Is that would we agree? Well, on that? it's yeah, it's a right. complicated. It's true, but it's true on a, in itself. But it's a kind of complicated equation because you've got to consider the the on the merchant side it could change the nature of the distribution of their utxos over time because i, I when i first wrote the page join like blog post about this i i explained this concept of the snowball utxo like essentially if a merchant just used pay join as in, as in every payment came in was a pay join and they started off with one utxo then they'd be consuming one utxo every time they received a payment as well as receiving one so they'd have one utxo that was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger which is in dramatic contrast to the merchant who let's say sells a thousand widgets every day to a thousand distinct customers but doesn't that add a heuristic yes exactly what it was discussed in the blog post is like that's actually a heuristic and plus also consider the practicality of whether whether this would ever be at the point where everyone was using it and and i could have kind of finished off the blog post by saying well that's actually great because we don't need or even really want everyone using it if even if just 10 percent of people used it and it was plausible that 10 percent of people were using it the effect on blockchain analysis would be so detrimental um but anyway uh, it, it, absolutely it could be a heuristic uh, uh, and so could some other things it, it but, would but allow talking... it would it would allow chain analysis chain analysts to identify that a pay join was happening well and not right? not, not, not unambiguously so not unambiguously yeah go on yeah because it's a, this heuristic might um just just to get it right so the heuristic is that things get coins get joined together until they're bigger and bigger but right. that can happen with in general usage as well like people combine dust together or um i don't know i haven't thought about it too much but it's possible this heuristic happens in Normal but you would know if, if you're an active attacker, right, a very common threat model mm -hmm. for like a BTC pay server. Let's say I'm accepting donations, right? I'm, a, mm -hmm. I'm an activist. I'm, a, I'm accepting donations. Obviously, I'm a, I have a privacy focus. Of course, I'm going to enable pay join. Um, 
a common threat model there is for who's ever trying to uh, track you would send in and it would send in an input, right? They would pay, they would pay with pay join. They would see what's going on. Yeah. Right. So it'd be vulnerable to that. How, how would like, what does the attacker learn in that situation? Well, the, att the attacker would know that every transaction that snowball is involved with is most likely that, that user that's receiving the donations pay joins. Right. The thing is, so, so the attacker would see pay joins on the blockchain, but the inputs to those pay joins, they'd be owned by different people. So, for example, one of the well, inputs one would input be, would be the snowball, right, and the other input yeah. would be the donation. Right, but the attacker can't tell which is which. So the other one, which is the donation, like the change of it, would end up going somewhere else. And do you see that the two things would get merged, the, the transaction graph? So, okay, we like if we back up a bit. So there's the activist who accepts pay joins. And he's right. getting many people giving him donations. And the attacker has also given him one small donation. And they can't tell whether these inputs that he sees belong to the activist or if they belong to other people giving donations to the activist. But wouldn't the right. snowball UTXO keep getting larger? But they might also get larger for the other people who donated as well. Right. So, so you would actually be, you're hoping that the donators are also snowballing. It couldn't be just BTC Pay Server heuris. As long as other the other wallets would need to be snowballing as well. I think right, what you're really that's where I'm lost. Combining yeah. it just means combining inputs. Right. right but the first time I heard about the snowball was uh, specifically on the BTC Pay Server side as a way to incentivize merchants to use it. So I, I in my head I was just assuming that only the merchant side was using that hmm. model, right? Okay. Yeah, anyway. It's a complicated but, issue, but I think yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. But okay, so to continue the steel man, uh, <laughs> there's also the fact I it's two-party coin join, which is small. That's right. Two-party coin left. join is small. We have a chicken in the. We already kind of addressed it. We have like a chicken and egg kind of thing in the room that that there's less incentive for people to maybe use it in the beginning, um, but we we need it to hit a certain threshold to be effective, right? So it's kind of like you need a. You need like early ideological adopters, basically, uh, which is not necessarily the end of the world. I mean, Bitcoin has kind of relied on early ideological adopters throughout its whole history. Um, the other thing is, I feel like a high KYC environment kind of throws a wrench into our plans. You know, I, okay. I don't. Uh, if, if let's use our let's use our BTC Pay server as an example. Um, we accept pay joins. We have pay joins enabled on on oh, cool. on uh, BTC Pay. Um, you should send you know, me the address. Show, I'll try it out. Send me the address. I'll yeah, try it out. First yeah. of all, this show is this show is is has no sponsored content. So if if anyone enjoy, you know, we have no ads, no sponsors. It's free and open, um, in the spirit of free and open source software. So if you want to support the show, feel free to send me some stats. Um, but all that said, we have BTC Pay server enabled with PayJoin, and we don't know when people pay with KYC or not. And and so so like KYC is like fucking insidious, and, and I I think there's like a big disconnect uh, in like the Bitcoin privacy community because we're hardliners about KYC versus the realities of the situation, which is like the overwhelming majority of participants are coming in via KYC. Um, and th all those inputs are obviously bagged and tagged and put in databases and shared around and collated um, and kind yeah. of break through that that veil, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but th that's a little bit unfair. And then the last thing is, like, 
is anyone really going to be making on-chain payments or like, are we, are we wasting our time a little bit with pay join when, when most people are going to pay with lightning at least, I think in the near term, they would hmm. make payments if they're for very big amounts. Hmm. Yeah. Whether, but even when number go up, like lightning capacity has gone up. Now you can like reasonably make a lightning pay, especially if you're a privacy focus, if you're someone like open arms, who's like open arms is like our perfect demo, right. Of a, of a pay join paying person. Like he can comfortably mm -hmm. make two hundred, three hundred dollar payments now. Yeah, with lightning. So well, whatever the number is, there's always going to be larger, larger transfers right. as well. But that's an adoption issue, right? Because we're trying to get ten percent, like you said, ten percent pay join mm -hmm. adoption. Mm -hmm. And if we have, yeah. we're splitting up the privacy focused users because the privacy focused users, a lot of them are going to go to lightning. I know me personally, like if I spend, I prefer to spend with lightning. It's a better UX. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So just to be when clear, this, this steel man is a downside of PayJoin is that something else might be better. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 I'm, I'm coming from the educator perspective, uh, where, where I'm, I'm, but that's more I'm on the front lines with new users and stuff. Right. And I'm trying to increase adoption on these different tools. And so I'm just that, that's the perspective I'm coming at, I guess, from this steel man of yeah. PayJoin. But that's the, really yeah, just a subset of that whole argument about, you know, do we need any kind of privacy tech on chain if we're just the only thing we're going to use the on chain for is to move on and off of lightning or second layer. And I've, I've always felt like there's always going to be a need for on chain transfers. So there's there is a value, even if uh, it's maybe not as pure and as simple as people would like. There's going to be a value in all kinds of coin joins because of that. Um, uh pay joins as as retail payments well then i you, you, your argument is more that bitcoin itself is not ideal for retail payments so like base layer bitcoin and i kind of agree with that generally but but yeah, as, so the fees as, are already getting pretty yeah, high yeah as of today it's still usable but it tends to be only really valuable for higher higher sizes and like try explaining like confirmation to like a new coiner that has it's, never yeah. fucking understood yeah, it at all right. in a high fee environment like oh you could pay you should probably pay like 12 sats per byte. And I don't know when that'll confirm, but it should confirm in, in some time. Yeah. And then how many confirm, like that, that explanation process is a, yeah, is right. a fucking crazy. Like we take that for granted that we just assume that makes sense to people. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I completely I, I, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say like, I, I, I hate the idea that I, I think on-chain and privacy is extremely important. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm saying to me, pay join seems more like, and I, I know Chris disagrees with me here. So I want to dive into this. I think, I think pay join seems like more of a post mix tool to me after like a coin join. And then, and then lightning also seems like a post mix tool to me. So I think, I feel like pay join kind of competes with lightning more than a coin join competes with lightning. Yeah, it competes because PayJoin is a, is a payment. Like you pay right. to a merchant. Well, with CoinJoin, with equal output CoinJoins, you can pay to yourself as well. Um, but yeah, no, that that's a fair analysis. I reckon that they the, the only time it would maybe make sense if it, is if you're doing an on-chain very large payment, which therefore can't be on Lightning. So I don't know. You want to gamble uh, ten thousand bitcoins or something ridiculous, and then you send it via PayJoin to a Bitcoin casino. Okay, right. it's not very realistic, but that would if be. If you're Arthur Hayes or something. Yeah, but I yeah, think. No. Exactly. 
I, th I think that to me, to me, the, the issue it, we, issue with it was always practicality. And it was never to me the issue like, oh, there isn't any point to this. Because I, I, my perspective is a bit different from most people in these discussions is that I tend to look at CoinJoin as very much this kind of opportunistic thing rather than some kind of rigid framework. Um, like one of the ways I've used join market, and I, I still do to some extent, but I tend to use Lightning more now, is it, it, I, I've used it as like, oh, let me just make a retail payment. In the old days, it was via BitPay, but I don't use them anymore. But there's other like coin payments and what have you. And it was like, oh, let's just do a coin join. And now I, I'm not, I have no pretense that in doing this specific coin join, I am somehow magically making this perfectly blockchain analysis resistant, you know, constructed transaction. It's just not the case. But every single person that does this is is it's half a political and also half of just a kind of commonsensical thing to do is just to it's like fighting for fungibility. Every payment I make, if I'm going to make a payment online, the first thing I'm going to check is can I use PayJoin instead of just an ordinary payment or, or join market? Um, because I just feel like it's something that every every user and participant of the system could con could consider doing as as a way of just sort of not i don't fight the right way but but just sort of asserting the right to fungibility you know um yeah that's that a sense? it's it's the ideological you know matt was talking about the ideological users familiar. yeah but as it as it as if but 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 that's almost pejorative to call it ideological because it is ideological yeah, no, it's, it. it's not a bad thing yeah um, but, ideology but, 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 you have to... but, but it, what i'm trying to say is it's not just purely ideolo ideological is it right because when i when i make a coin join payment instead of an ordinary payment um, I'm creating something like a part of the permanent record of Bitcoin's transaction graph, which is either less uh, disentangleable or totally not, not disentangleable. If that's I have too many in there, um, <laughs> you know. So, 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 my point is, is, is that we we're not just being altruistic if we sit and like slave away and construct these incredibly complex collections instead of just making a payment. It's not just it's not just ideological or altruistic. It's it's actually creating a it's like a, you you live in a in a housing estate and you all share a garden and you know you, you look after the garden a little bit because you know both you and everyone else involved will will, will have a happier life because of it. Yeah, you know I mean? not no, just. I, I agree. Yeah, it's something can be ideological and self-interested. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, pay join to me is like one tool you could use in your flow of everyday work. You know, I'm paying for a team shirt on its the pay server oh look it's a page on uri i just click that and bang I, I make that payment instead of the other one and yeah i pay for right. one and you can say the same about lightning right like that you if you yeah. see if you lightning. see a service offering lightning you go out of your way to pay with lightning because definitely yeah. yeah definitely but so 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 kind of tangential let's unpack this a little bit uh, about talking about making a you're making a point uh mm. you mentioned making a mm. making a Standing your ground, standing yeah. your ground, and and making a visible protest uh, to the surveillance economy. Um, yeah. It's kind of weird to me that you know I've I've been a very very active promoter of using CoinJoin and and using Bitcoin best practices, and I come mm -hmm. up right against this whole like compliance culture in Bitcoin land, mm -hmm. uh, especially among. Um, you know, for better or worse, you know, I'm a public figure. People know my face. You know, they they see me at these conferences and stuff. Um, so I'm I'm literally butting heads um, with with 
with these other public people that are, are very compliance focused, regulation focused. Um, and I got a lot of pushback about this idea of, of trying to encourage increased coin join adoption. And a lot of my arguments were even if certain coin join implementations aren't perfect, um, because honestly, like if you're a privacy advocate and you're saying something's perfect, you're probably full of shit to begin with. But even if a user screws something up, the signaling mechanism of these coins going through CoinJoin and being visible on chain, I think, is super important. And we're, we're seeing the ramifications of this with all these regulated services uh, flagging them and denying service and use of them. And, and you know, we even have BlockFi. I'll pull the graphic up again just because I have it saved in here. Um, going out of their way to specifically say that, uh, and I think they use the word mixing instead of coin join to insinuate more criminal intent, but that they don't accept uh, mixed funds. They don't accept anything that goes through like BISC, peer to peer exchanges. They have this whole block list wow. or whatever. Um, so there's yeah. been like this weird element. And, and, and I, I, I love the idea of, of these, these stenographic techniques, as you said, like things like pay join, coin swap, that, that aren't really, it isn't visible on chain that they're being used and they break the heuristics. But this mm -hmm. idea that like we should hide that we're using Bitcoin privately mm -hmm. um, seems weird to me in a world where we've, we've gone through the same exact argument and fight with, with speech um yep. and and yep. encryption is obviously is very visible like people know you're using encryption the idea is that they can't see the message anyway right mm -hmm. right like yeah. what's the difference like why should we be ashamed of using coin join the fact that it's visible on chain isn't as big of a negative to me i think it like falls right in line with with encryption does it not i guess yeah. but they um it's a method of resistance like hiding that you're mixing helps you um helps you get away with it in a way, so I don't know BlockFi. They they try and block. Um, they try and censor payments which are which are coin joins. And if you can if you can stop that from happening, then that's good, right? But I agree with you that with the thing. I really don't understand Bitcoiners who have that thing of we sh shouldn't use coin join. We shouldn't use because even if they're only interested in it for number go up, do they really think that say central banks who want to print loads of money? Um, are they just going to allow people to just move into Bitcoin? Like, of course they won't. They'll, they'll want to spy on them. They'll want to su do surveillance on them. So their whole the whole plan of number go up depends on having some kind of privacy because otherwise people will take, you know, they'll take your money. They'll, the number go up that you want, that you earned, they'll uh, confiscate it like in the 6102. Um, yeah, it makes no sense to me. 6102 executive order. Yeah, like, like the both number go up and censorship resistance have to go together. You can't have one without the other. Exactly. And, 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 and like, let, let's just go deeper into this BlockFi example, because BlockFi now is right, is the darling of this fucking industry. Everyone has their hands in it. You know, there's <laughs> investors, all the all the big accounts on Twitter, they're all investors and shit in BlockFi. The thing <laughs> is valued at like two billion, three billion dollars right now. They want to go public. They're offering Bitcoiners the ability to get six percent interest if they go custodial. They give them full KYC. And then on the withdrawal, they're not allowed to actively use Bitcoin privacy best practices. If they use active, if they if they visibly use Bitcoin privacy best practices after they withdraw from BlockFi, not even the deposit, after they withdraw from BlockFi, then their account gets closed. That'd be like, that'd be like me if I if I 
if when I withdrew money from the bank, I didn't like post my fucking receipt on social media, my account gets blocked. Like we're what not the far. Fuck? We're not far yeah. away from that today. <laughs> we are not far away from that today. With yeah, banks, I agree. Um, but yeah, uh, how many hops? I'm curious. <laughs> well, that's the like, thing. No one can tell us, right? Because no. they can't tell you, right? Yeah, it's, it's just like the legacy system, right? It's like uh, you're not allowed to do money laundering or, or, or any of these other activities. Uh, uh, so is this okay? And then they'll say, well, we can't tell you whether it's okay. Uh, so just <laughs> deposit, the, deposit the money in and then we'll figure out if it's okay afterwards. And we won't they will block your account and we won't tell you why it's blocked. <laughs> it's the same bullshit. And it's going to be the same bullshit every time. You just have to have some dignity and just say fuck, fuck these people. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, you're really six percent isn't even that much, right? I don't, I don't know if, if you can, you know. So if it was fifty percent, would you much. would you invest if it was fifty percent, Chris? What about that? Well, about at fifty percent, it sounds like a Ponzi scheme. It sounds like a scam <laughs> at that point. But there's you might no consider it. <laughs> there's no economic activity in the world that gives you fifty percent per year. So there's a golden <laughs> number that. You, so there's a golden number that you're not going to re reveal at which you would invest in BlockFi. But if it's anywhere below or anywhere above that, you're not going to invest in them. <laughs> well, when you put it that, well, no, I mean, no, you've, you've got me there, I guess. The thing is, is someone's privacy is quite valuable, and I wouldn't. I'm just confused that six percent isn't even that much. I don't know. It's a hell of, hell of a lot better than bank accounts or, or most investments nowadays. But the thing is, even if you just hold Bitcoin in a, in a hardware wallet or in cold storage, it moves 6% all the time. Every month it yeah. goes up or down 6%. So why are people yeah. running so quickly to this 6% thing? Well, the people who accuse know. me of FUD when I say the same thing want it to be clear that this is 6% compounded interest on top of the Bitcoin gains and you get paid out in Bitcoin, Chris. So we right. can't just no, say 6%. Bad. We can't. Oh, yeah. Okay, but you're already getting like twenty percent a month. So <laughs> no, I'm aware that that we've yeah. we've discovered an asset that's designed to pump forever, and people are willing yeah. to throw out complete control of it and all of their privacy for six percent is absolutely ridiculous. But I just wanted I wanted to be clear that I also know what compound yeah, interest okay. is, and that does not <laughs> change the equation for me. Um, I think you it's important that people. Way. Yeah, if go. you're gonna sell yourself, if you're gonna sell yourself in that way, at least charge more than six <laughs> percent. I literally had someone tell me in my comments today that I'm a rich Bitcoiner that's out of touch and that people <laughs> need these interest payments to feed their family. <laughs> oh and if I don't, if, if by me telling people that it's a risky investment, it's a risky move, um, that I'm I'm just completely heartless. And Dan Held liked that fucking comment. Um, so okay. that's what I we're up explain. against in this world. You probably already told them why that's bullshit, but um, so you know, poor people say you only had a hundred dollars or ten dollars, six percent is six dollars, right? <laughs> Not that much. If you have six million dollars and you get six percent on that, then that's immediately sixty thousand dollars, a huge amount. So six percent benefits rich people way more than it benefits poor people. Yeah, I mean, also, like, yeah, you shouldn't like be relying on a high risk interest account on top of a volatile asset to feed yeah. your children if you're going to try and lecture me on risk risk management like that's fucking ridiculous but that's all i digress this is my, my point was do we do we all agree that this idea that regulated institutions might not accept your bitcoin in the future is a bullshit that that's a bullshit reason to not care about bitcoin privacy best practices like just opt out of those systems that's what bitcoin's about yeah yeah i, agree. I, I, I i'm i'm going to just disagree just for the sake <laughs> I, I don't think that I, I I don't think it's bullshit in the sense that you know people come people are in this space and come into this space with very very different perspectives for all kinds of reasons.
reasons. And um, they might be a bit confused, you know, like what exactly they're doing. They they might be think that they're, they're dealing with Bitcoin or actually that they're dealing with like regulated instruments on top of Bitcoin effectively because they're really just playing around with money on exchanges, you know, and, and then they're just playing around with, you know, their, their taxes and their accountants and just and their, 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 their brokerage accounts. But, you know, it's not completely stupid for people to think, you know what, I'm a stand-up citizen and I abhor and I'm not going to get involved in anything that even smells slightly of, you know, they're very, like, risk-averse people, you know. Okay, fine, but but they should at least understand our point of view uh, that 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 we actually believe in this as a as a as a different system, and we anyway. But Waxwing, this is what I'm saying, right? Is like, is yeah. is this is when we're talking about increasing the pool of of privacy focused Bitcoin users, right? To try and increase our own privacy. Hmm. Um, you're you're we're up against this this thought process and i i'm telling you that and i'm curious what your guys guys opinion here is i know exactly what's going to come next what's going to come next and i already see it happening um, amongst my peer group is um we're going to be sold this idea and the people are going to i'm going to have that they're all going to attack me on twitter about it um we're going to be sold this idea that Bitcoin privacy best practice is to spend directly from a custodial wallet because block file protect my privacy. Um, and the other person, the transaction graph is completely broken and I've done nothing wrong. And my government, I can completely trust my government and they'll protect those <laughs> records. And if you look it up on, on chain, you won't, you won't be able to tell. And, and why do I make this expectation? Why do I have this expectation? Why do I have this conclusion? Because I, when people pay me in Bitcoin, I chain analysis them, right? I look back and I've caught people multiple times sending me money directly from Cash App, directly from Strike. And I say to them, I'm like, you sent me money directly from Cash App um, for a poker game. You send me KYC funds directly and you know who I am. And they're like, yeah, Matt, I didn't want you to fucking know how much Bitcoin I have. So I sent it from Cash App instead of doing it. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. That's right, what's going to happen. That's going to be the next narrative. The next narrative is if you have they nothing to hide, if account. you're not a criminal, you can just send from a custodial wallet and you'll have perfect privacy. They're going to say perfect privacy because they don't care about disclosing trade-offs. Well, yeah. they can, um, you can, in that situation, they could send via lightning. Then you would also not be able to tell how much money they have. Right. But if you, if, yeah. if they sent, if, if they pay me, as lightning stands right now, and I'm, obviously it's not at a standstill, development's actually been moving pretty quickly. Um, I have tons of respect for the developers. But as lightning stands right now, um, if they pay you from something like a strike or a bottle pay or something, that pub key is, is in a KYC database somewhere with the invoice, yeah. whatever you put in the invoice. So I actually had, I, sw mm. I, uh, I, I, did, I did a poker game and I was the bank. Um, and I put in an invoice, I put in the invoice to keep track for my own sovereign lightning note. I put in the invoice, the guy's name, um, and poker. So it was his name plus poker, right? And he paid me from strike. So strike now knows his name, knows we played poker and knows my pub key. And it's in their fucking database forever. Presumably no one knows, yeah. you know, what, how, what the retention is for these KYC services, but yeah. Like, no, that's a good good point. What I what I meant was that your yeah. friend was using a custodial service for privacy reasons, so that you couldn't tell how much money he had. But he could use a non-custodial Lightning wallet, um, 
that would that would also not reveal how much money he had in his wallet. And yeah, you're right. If he uses a custodial wallet as well, then things won't work. But I didn't realize he paid me from strike until like an hour into the poker game. Right. Right. Like neither of us real. Like there was no. <laughs> there's no. From a UX point of view, I saw the invoice was paid. Right. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't even consider it. It wasn't even. Uh, I don't. That's going to become more common. Am I wrong? No, you're right. Unfortunately, but there's people who people who for it will, if it matters to someone, then they'll make the extra effort. But I don't think we should spend all our time wringing hands about the fact that people are going to make uh, practical trade-offs, including you know how they deal with regulators and banks and governments. I mean, they they always have done and they always will do, and until there's some dramatic change in society. But, but the anyway. reasoning, the reason uh, I bring this up, the reason I bring this mm -hmm. up is because yeah. I think we, I, I think, I think it's important when you're building these tools and trying to set up the incentive structures, that that you're targeting. You you can't just we can't just target like OGs that care about we can't just target like the thousand OGs that care about privacy. No, I don't think right? we're just targeting that though. I mean, I mean, look at look at the kind of thing that. O OpenOMS is doing. I don't. I don't know what what he's. I know you've talked with him extensively. Um, but but you know, look at the he's doing. He he's not just addressing the needs of a thousand OGs who are like cryptography right. experts. He's addressing. He he is addressing people who are kind of curers, people who like technology. They're playing around with things like Raspberry Blitz, uh, which I do as well. Actually, I really like that device. It's really cool. Um, but it, but these are people who just like Bitcoin. I'm sure some of them are, are relatively new. Uh, and yeah, they are technically savvy, much more than the average user, but they still like the fact that what he pr provides them is like this packaged version of Join Market. They can just slap on their right, join a, in like box. a plugin. Yeah, it's Join in Box. They can just slap it into their already existing, you know, core node, Lightning node, whatever, what have you. Uh, where am I going with this? Oh yeah, the, the the point is, while there's some truth, obviously, to your point, the how do we get all the masses involved? Um, I have, I've always been, I've always had this attitude, even from the early days, that I always used to tell people Bitcoin is, is swift, not Starbucks points. And you stop constantly like worrying about how you can get retail on board or whatever. Retail are always going to do what retail do, right? They're, they're going to use trusted third parties because that's just how people operate. Um, there are, on the other hand, there are always going to be those special people and not just people, but organizations as well. I mean, I, 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 an example I like to to give people, even though it's totally fictitious, is like the canonical Bitcoin user is probably a Nigerian trader who's sourcing products from Guangzhou. You know, in other words, it's not just it's not just like, like Joe Blogs on the street in London or, or New York or whatever who's just playing around with his phone. I mean, up to those people. There's nothing wrong with being that person. I'm just saying that isn't really what Bitcoin addresses. I don't care what Satoshi wanted to use it for, vending payments or whatever, vending machines. The, the truth is it's just not that kind of thing. It's it's much more like Swift. It's some very, very hard money. Right. Uh, and it's almost like financial plutonium. Like, I remember people coming up to me when I was in Prague and saying, you know, should I buy some Bitcoin? I said, no. I just say, no, don't buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Fuck away from it. Because, right. because honestly, it's, it's just not consumer product. Now, Lightning is a different story. If it gets polished enough, then maybe that's a different story, right? I mean, in but hindsight, Bitcoin they probably should have that. bought it, right? Like, what was the price in Prague? <laughs> Uh, it was near the 2017 <laughs> but, it was, but no, it was. It was like 15, 10, 15K. Yeah. Maybe they did. Yeah. All right. I'll give it that. <laughs> Literally any time point. in history, they, they should have bought Bitcoin. And that's the point. 
they didn't deserve it unless they ignored my advice because they knew what the fuck they were doing. They had their confidence in themselves to actually operate and own things like keys. That is not something ordinary people ever want to deal with. Um, and I'm sorry, I know it sounds elitist and <clears throat> maybe I'm just an asshole. It doesn't sound just, elitist. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I, I was trying to be provocative, obviously. I didn't mean just like a thousand OGs. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying like I need grandma to use the privacy tools. Um, right. I'm saying like this show, this show, why do yeah. I do this show? I do this show to increase the adoption of these kind of tools and these practices and spread this knowledge. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I want people to pay it forward. Right. Like I, I, I think it's, it's interesting uh, where like a lot of people like I'm not competing with other podcasters. I would love if there's a million shows that cover the same exact topic. That's when we're winning. Um, right. But like we have we have. You know, over over 20,000 people are going to listen to this to this discussion um, out of those people, maybe 5000 of them have used the tools. Um and actively use the tools, right? Uh, hmm. I'm talking about getting that number up by a magnitude of 10, 10x, right? Uh, yeah. Let's get that number up to 50,000 people worldwide that, are, that care about these tools and are using these tools. And when we talk about that, when we talk about yeah, right. crossing that chasm, um, this is what we're up against, right? We're up against the UX of the custodial regulated products. We're up against the 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 incentives that those products are offering their users, right? Yeah. But do you right. envision a world where... Do you envision... Just if I could jump in, uh, Waxwing, okay, I think yeah. you're saying it's about uh, elitism. I'd actually argue it's the opposite because there's mm -hmm. the point that Alex Gladstein made that most people in the world are actually not in the first world with... Uh, they're not somewhere in London right. or New York and they had... So someone that, like in Nigeria, you mentioned the example of Nigeria, that country mm -hmm. has 100 million population, right? It's a third mm -hmm. of America. It's so huge. they huge, actually... Huge. Um, I think Alex Gladstein put it in another way. Bitcoin is for the other 5 billion people in the world, the people who don't mm -hmm. have good. And in fact, I can point out, they actually can't use BlockFi because BlockFi only accepts customers yeah. from certain places in the world. So I, you, it could be argued it's actually not elitism. It's the opposite. It's for more. Mm. Uh, there's the old cliche of Bitcoin helping people in third world countries, but you could argue it's that. People have to hold their own coins because there's nothing else. But this is where those, other, those other aspects mm. come into play, right? Sure. Cost accessibility mm, yeah um you know uh, if, if if you're if you're in an adversarial environment in nigeria and bitcoin is 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 borderline illegal if not completely illegal it's hard to have a 24 7 interactive uh client mm -hmm. available it's, it's hard mm -hmm. to run a, a vps in general nowadays on a major cloud provider without kyc yeah, yeah. so so um, i think I think a good example of this might be like you, you, you see the in little experiments like they did in I don't know which South American country it was where they tried to set up a little like lightning community thing. So what they actually end up doing, of course, is they use essentially, yeah, or maybe it's that I don't remember. They they use ex essentially completely custodial versions of the tools. Uh, so it's like you, you talk about the traders in Nigeria and uh, they're, they're, they're constrained bandwidth wise, they're constrained cost wise, they're constrained regulatory wise, and they don't have a, a solid basis of like a lot of Bitcoin developers in the local area. I mean, good old Tim Akimbo's there, but most hardly anybody else there who knows anything about Bitcoin, right? So so the, 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 essentially what's going to end up happening is they go into these custodial uh, systems. So unfortunately, while I agree with your point, Chris, I suspect in practice, um, while third world is where Bitcoin is kind of the most useful in some ways, 
it isn't actually uh, the kind of Bitcoin that we'd like it to but, be. But but right, just waxing yeah, quick quickly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you're talking about uh, Bitcoin Ow. Beach in El Salvador, but Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador um, is is fostering this this grassroots Lightning community, and they do have their own wallet. Mm -hmm. You were correct mm -hmm. uh, that that is custodial, um, but mm, it's kind of cool because it. it's it's locally custodial. Right. Yes, so like yes, it's locally, like the yeah. local El Salvador Bitcoiners are running this custodial wallet that doesn't comply with US regulations and is completely mm. interoperable with the wider lightning network. Maybe yeah, that is gonna be something that we see scale out, you know? That kind of makes I sense so. to me. Yeah, I think so. Right. Yeah. And then you don't have to worry about the pub keys. Like if 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 a user and strike just so strike um, just opened up in El Salvador. They just have bit now. Now they have business in El Salvador because Jack Mauler's fucking boss, man. Like he flew down to El Salvador, one of the highest crime crime rates in the world. Him and Miles Suter of Cash Apps down there, both my boys are are in, at Bitcoin Beach right now. Um, mm. And wow. and Strike launched in El Salvador with no banking relationship. And, and mm. the reason why they were able to do that is because the overwhelming amount of transactions coming from are coming from the United States mm. as as uh, God damn it. Uh, what, what's the, the word when you're sending money abroad? Um, Wire? Uh, Wire? Remittances. Remittance. Remittances oh, remittance. from the United yeah. States. Yeah. Right. So the United States users have they're fully regulated. They have bank accounts. And they're connected mm. to Strike, and they're sending to the custodial wallets in El Salvador, and oh, and you right. and you know you know they're part of Bitcoin Beach's pilot program or whatever, but you don't know who the individual user is. Hmm. They have their own right. in, on an onset, basically, right? So what? How does the American side? So this here an American who wants to send a remittance, or you're in America to send a remittance. You send uh, like a, a, a card payment or a or a Fiat, let's say a fiat payment to strike and then it gets sent over lightning to the El Salvador. Yeah, you hook up your work? debit card you hook up your debit uh -huh. card or you hook up your debit card or bank account to strike um mm -hmm. and you you it's k it's considered kyc light because what he did was he had a he has a partnership that basically allows you to put in your phone number and if the kyc infos already exists you don't have to re-enter it uh, so, so you still have full KYC, but at least friction wise, it's reduced. Um, and then you actually never see Bitcoin. So you can just scan any lightning invoice and he'll automatically do the conversion in the behind the scenes and the receiver receives Bitcoin. And the reason it's set up that way is it provides him regulatory cover because he never has to custody Bitcoin. Um, mm, and yeah. it provides the user right. a, 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 a pro-tax way of spending Bitcoin because the user is never actually buying Bitcoin and then spending the Bitcoin and incurring capital uh, gains. They're just right. they're they're just processing this transaction in the background and using Bitcoin as the rails. The receiver receives Bitcoin, so it's it's become very very popular among um, mainstream Bitcoin Twitter. Uh, hmm. But it's. Uh, that's why I haven't heard of it. <laughs> but it leaves, yeah. So wax wings to the freaks, to the freaks that are aware. Wax wings, the first guest on the show, who really truly cares about privacy and and, and boycotts and boycotts Twitter. Uh, we have a bunch of freaks that are listening to this through Twitter. Um, so uh, props to you for doing that, Waxwing. Uh, you can find him on Mastodon.
but yeah, is that it's an interesting dynamic that is that is has exists that exists now, um, and and yeah, a lot of people a, are using that. Yeah, Jack, Jack gave a talk about it on um, Jack Miles gave a talk about it on uh, in our in our little VR meet. I think you you came a few didn't you to our VR meetup? Yes, it was kind of interesting. Now yeah. my I eyes didn't... started to hurt. <laughs> yeah, my eyes hurt sometimes after a while. Yeah, it's funny that. Mm. And also anyway. Facebook, fuck Facebook, right? Like I was using uh, yeah. Oculus or whatever, and they started yeah. requiring the account, so I just yeah, have that was that's really shitty. It's even worse when you look under the hood of what they're doing there. It's really horrible, I think. But anyway, yeah, Facebook's I just... one I got rid of my account a long time. Did you see that Zuck? It, the their Facebook accidentally got hacked for five hundred and thirty-three million users' accounts information, yeah, and they pretty... they use that to realize that Zuck is using Signal, which is just hilarious. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he owns yeah, WhatsApp. Funny. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's the, the strike phenomenon is, is very interesting and it, that's, that's, it's a, it's an awesome product. It's really pushing, it's pushing the tears, but this, that's kind of where I come from when I say that that's what we're up against, because you're, you're trying to convince the user to, to spend Bitcoin privately rather than using a service like that a lot of times. Yeah, I think it realistically is yeah. going to be second, and it is going to be semi-custodial. I think both of those things. That's that's the good outcome. I mean, the worst outcome is everyone just decides that they just want to use Bitcoin as a, like an investment stuck in a regulated financial institution, and nobody did ever, you see, ever ever. Did you see what Bitcoin. Taylor posted the other day? That got um, like seven thousand likes and fucking a, amazing amount of retweets. I mean, I know Waxwing did see. Did you see it? <laughs> He, who he, was he the, tweeted can you out the name? Michael, Saylor. do you not know who Michael Taylor is, Waxwing? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, no, I do. I oh, just, okay. I didn't hear that the connection was bad. Oh, um, oh I did Chris. follow him, but Chris. yeah, did he say he bought, <laughs> what did he buy? Like he bought more Bitcoins or something. Oh, no, no, not that. He tweets that out every two weeks or whatever. Uh, he <laughs> yeah. tweeted out that the ideal, the ideal Bitcoin wallet is a wallet that's a custodial wallet where you send Bitcoin in and it automatically provides you a fiat-based loan on it. And then you pay with fiat, and then that way you never incur capital gains, um, and you never have to sell your Bitcoin. Well, he's yeah, wrong because me. the central banks will just steal your Bitcoin in that case. Look, I'm I'm not saying that okay, that, fine, us, yeah, I know you're not that we disagree, him. right? <laughs> but that's what we're up like. Like you're competing when you're talking about increasing from five thousand to fifty thousand users. Right, you're you're competing against that yeah. I, that those concepts. Do we agree yeah, on that? Yeah. Well, I agree. Um, yeah. I don't know what to think. He about might be in trouble um, when there's a bear market. I'm gonna it's pull it up. It's for you. nice I'm now when the price goes up. I'm gonna pull it up for you guys. Yeah, I, I think you're in You don't believe me. No, you don't believe course. that it exists. No, of course I believe that because I heard him say something. I heard about him say something similar before, like some months before. He said something about it's all you know. It should all be regulated. It, and forget about privacy. Yeah, he's it has, just crazy. It has a thousand retweets. I have you ever mm -hmm. come close to getting a thousand retweets on something? Like, that's crazy. That's that that's this is consensus opinion. Look at this. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe it's bots. You never know. <laughs> ah, no, ah, this is not bots. Oh, wait, 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 wait. He says the ideal wallet. <laughs> I want to qualify. Is this the ideal mobile wallet? Well, I don't know. Maybe he's right because the ideal wallet certainly isn't on a mobile phone. 
<laughs> oh, oh, do you want to unpack that? <laughs> well, of course, it's not the most secure way. I mean, if you're dealing with large amounts, you, you, you would be crazy to, to hold it on a phone, surely. But if we're talking, if we're talking about the other five billion, the other yeah. five billion, yeah, most of them have don't phones. have computers. They have self, they have cell phones, and they have. Well, that just comes back. You know, that just comes back to the discussion we were just having, right? Which is like, well, how is it actually going to play out in third world type environments? And it will. I'm sure it will be at least serial. And I'm sure it will. You know, I, the, the the positive outcome is that there's a lot of usage of semi custodial Bitcoin, like the example you give from El Salvador, which I think is a really interesting and cool example. Um, and it's going to be on phones because phones are the devices that those people have. And it's going to be something which respects stream bandwidth limitations because bandwidth is very expensive in those places and unreliable. Uh, so we just got to face up to the reality there. You know, it's all very nice to think of satellites and stuff and it's all cool. But and there will be some nodes. But God, I remember back in the early days when you used to look on the um, the maps of like where all the nodes were in the world. You'd look at Africa and there'd be like two nodes on the entire continent. Uh, it's just yeah. it's just terrible, really. But I don't think it's going to get much better, at least not quickly. Sorry, I'm I'm waffling. No, I think this is this has been a great conversation so far. Um, we haven't even talked about coin Ow. swaps yet. Um, I, I yeah. just b before before we move on, I just want to. Uh, on 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 a on a bigger sense, what do you guys think? Like, do you feel a sense of urgency in terms of Bitcoin privacy? Do we have all the time in the world, or should we? Is, no, is it important that people care right now? Yeah, I think it's quite urgent because every every month you get more. Um, for example, more services which block coin joins. Yeah, I think it's uh, so. Every um, yeah, the more the more this goes on, the more information the the surveillance people get. And the KYC is just going farther and farther, right? It's just like, yeah. I don't know. Um, yes, okay. So, so we kind of talked about current Bitcoin privacy. Um, let's move on. Let's move on to the future. Let's let's. Oh, oh no, no, no. We're not moving to the future. Sorry, freaks. Um, last last discussion we had on Citadel Dispatch last week. Um, there was some confusion about Sybil attacks. Uh, arguably, Sybil attacks are the number one threat model for users that are trying to use Bitcoin more privately. Um, do you guys want to explain? I guess we'll start with Chris. You want to explain like why, what a Sybil attack is? Um, maybe we'll talk about fidelity so bonds you, really quick. Are you talking about? Yeah, I, I suppose you're talking about Sybil attacks for join markets. So that would mean well, where yeah. uh, now with with join markets, anyone can be a maker. They just put bitcoins in a in the bots in the wallet and then start it up, and it will become a maker. And a Sybil attack would be when there's an adversary who created ten or twenty or fifty bots uh, and has all of them on into the order book, and they all create coin joins. And if a if a user is unlucky, they'll coin join, but only with these Sybil users, only with these Sybil makers, and then they would get a coin join, but because all the all the other all the other people in the coin join would actually be the same person, um, their coin join could be easily unmixed. Now the right, way so, uh, yeah, so that's on. called a Sybil attack because it comes from it comes from that there was someone who had like a mental disorder where she had multiple personalities and she was called Sybil. So her name was Sybil. That was actually her Something name. Like that, yeah, like Sybil wow, okay. Johnson. I don't know. Right um, now the way the thing I'm, I'm working on right now is uh, a thing. Uh, 
the idea is called fidelity bonds, which is where in join markets and in, in CoinSwap later, you'd have makers would also have the option of putting coins into a time locked address. For example, they could lock up their coins for one year or six months or something. And that's kind of like a sacrifice. You can you can precisely work it out mathematically how much they've sacrificed in value to lock up coins for a year or two years. And then takers, join market takers, would be programmed to preferentially choose makers which have a more valuable fidelity bond. Uh, so the effect of that would mean if someone then wants to do a Sybil attack, they have to sacrifice much more value. Uh, I've done the, I've, done, I've got some calculations on this, that if, if kind of the honest order book sacrifices one Bitcoin worth of value, then a Sybil attacker would have to sacrifice about 60 Bitcoins worth of value to, to be successful at attacking. Because the idea so, is, the idea is, is that the, with, with the Sybil attack is, is, is where the, the goal when in privacy focused Bitcoin is, is to be amongst a crowd. A Sybil attack yeah. and its most extreme form is that the whole crowd is a single attacker. So yeah, if, exactly. if we're talking about fighting Sybil attacks, the plan should be to make it so that an attacker has to spend more than an, a so-called honest actor, someone <laughs> acting in good faith. And with fidelity just, bonds, yeah. With I, just like, to bond, I, I yeah. just like to interrupt that 6102 made the same joke that I was going to make, that they, they sacrifice 6% a year, right? Right, of course. <laughs> it, it's important to remember that the civil attacker is sacrificing 6% per year, but also the honest actor is also sacrificing 6% per year. Compounded annually in yeah. Bitcoin. It's important that we remember that we're not fudding it and that it is compounded annually and paid in Bitcoin. Um, but the, the, <laughs> the, the idea with fidelity bonds is if you spread out your Bitcoin among multiple maker positions, that's going to cost you significantly more money than if you just do one large maker position, right? Yeah, exactly. And coming back to the 6% the per year idea, uh, you could think <laughs> of this as a way to earn income from your Bitcoins without, I mean, Join Market already has this. You can earn an income from your Bitcoins without having without having to give up your bitcoins so they stay in your wallet and you don't have to give up any kyc information and right. you earn money from them but you and have hot because wallet. like from the yeah and from the point of view of someone who's doing this like a, an investor you could call it, it in a way it competes with the BlockFi thing so the thing that the effect that fidelity bonds would have is they would make the joint market system more capital intensive like it would require more bitcoins to be involved and from like from financial principles, you could expect that then the yield that the interest people could earn would go upwards. Um, um, so once for, in to put short, once fidelity bonds added to join market, market makers, if they have loads of money, could earn more money. But let's steel man it a little bit. Uh, first of all, the yeah. fees are are basically nothing right now, right? Like you're not really making any money yeah. being a maker. Well, um, that, that, that's that's, that's definitely. No, but that's definitely true. But never forget that there is like a, a kind of edge case because at the very larger sizes, that isn't really as true. Like the, the right because they're special. There's not that much competition in the maker exactly. side exactly. for the larger. But, exactly. but, but and, generally, it's true. If 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 we got taker usage up, those fees should go up, and and the makers should be able to make more money. Do we agree on that? Yeah. Generally, yeah. like would we would we agree that like the 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 biggest the biggest example that adoption of joint market is unfortunately lower than what we were hoping for is that the fees are still pretty low, right? Well, I mean, you can just scan the chain and look, look from quantitative measures. Yeah, the reason the fees are low is that everyone who can, everyone who wants liquidity can easily find it. 
That's why there's right because we don't have enough. We don't have more takers. If we had more takers, if we had more takers, the fees should go up, right? Uh, Yeah, so that would be the the demand side, but also there's the supply side, and that I think there's loads of bitcoins out there just sitting in cold storage, not doing anything. And if fees went up even a little bit, then many of those bitcoins would move out from cold storage into this, and that would make. But the weird thing, the weird thing about join market, the weird thing about join market is the UX is is in my opinion, good enough, it's easy enough to use for someone who is is savvy enough to try and be a maker, but but it could use work on the taker side to get like more, you right. know, mainstream users in. But on the maker side, like they have an incentive to just figure it out. And and yes. And, and just to go back to my previous provocative example, like you only really need like the a thousand dedicated ideological OGs on the maker side. Um, and, and they yeah. can figure out the U.S. On the taker side, we, we kind of need taker adoption to go up and then the, and the fees should go up at that point. But, but wait, I think there's a danger here that, that people have attended to look at the market and say, oh, the market's wrong. You know, um, uh, the way right. I've tried to explain this in the past is that, that there's many, many costs and benefits to add in to the, to the system. So on the, on the um, maker side, there are benefits such as the, the passivity means you don't have to make decisions the fact that you um you you get uh, privacy while you don't spend bitcoin network transaction fees which are which are usually the la- larger by far of the two components of fee is the, is the bitcoin network transaction fee right. so the unusual thing like if you came at the joy market from the point of view of something like wasabi you you understand that or at least first anyway you know, the, the takers like bearing that entire cost distributed among all the participants so there's several like, well, advantages well, the taker gets such as being able to choose an exact size go, go ahead but the takers it's it's considerably yeah, a taker and joy market is, I, I, <laughs> yeah. a taker and joy market is considerably cheaper than wasabi everything everything equal wasabi's wasabi's coin joint fee is dramatically high <laughs> it's like like it, okay, it, you, you save a ton of money if you're a taker in your market. So, yeah. But even the network right, fee, so, the network so, so fee is a hundred inputs or whatever. Right? Sorry, continue. No, but but that has to be distributed. Okay, let me just go through because I wanted to make a quick list of all the like go through to work out what the the, the price of, of of join market usage is because because if you're the if you're the taker, you get several like distinct advantages. You're able to choose the exact time at which you do it, and it goes through quickly. You're able to uh, choose the exact size of the payment, which means you can make a payment in a coin join if you want. You're able to choose, and the second advantage of choosing the exact size of the payment is the crucial one, which is it allows you to do something called a sweep, which means you get no change. Uh, another advantage you get, which if you compare it to like other coin join implementations, is you can do any size, including very large size in principle. Uh, so there's, uh, and, the, and of course the biggest, maybe the most crucial advantage that the taker gets is that you're supposed, at least uh, assuming there's no bug, uh, it's supposed to be the case that you don't reveal any information about your inputs and outputs to the other participants in the, whereas the maker doesn't get that advantage. So there's all these advantages. And on the other side has the advantage of, well, I'm not paying any network transaction fee and I can just leave it running and uh, a couple of other things I can't remember. But but the point is that there's many different like, components of cost and benefit to play in. And the fact that it works out that most of the time we're talking about uh, like tens to hundreds of sats for coin join fee, and only if you go to larger sizes does that price get significantly larger, is just it's just the result of all these like difficult to measure factors. And I, I totally agree, by the way. None, none of this is to dis- disagree with what Chris just 
uh, expounded on fidelity bonds is it would add a much stronger anti-Sybil effect, which means that um, most likely or almost certainly the prices will go up because the quality of what's being offered is going to be is going to be higher. But I would also mention because I, I wanted to mention this because I think it came earlier podcasts is that when we had this bug recently, uh, well, we could talk about the bug if we like, but but the thing is, we should um, talk about that. But okay, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I just want to say that um, people do have one, and you specifically, I think, perhaps have forgotten a rather uh, important uh, change that was made to join market as a system about, I don't know, two years ago. I can't remember exactly when, which is that the um, it's slightly less, it's significantly, I would say, less sibilable than it used to be, in as much as. Um, you don't have this situation where somebody can simply offer the lowest possible fee and just right. almost automatically get chosen. Because it was kind of sort of like that in the early days where there was a Which kind of exponential. Well, it, was, right. it was kind of an exponential distribution giving too much weight to the very lowest fees. And all that we changed was we made it so that, without going into a huge amount of detail, we made it so that uh, when a taker comes along, he doesn't just aim for the very lowest fees possible, but he aims for any random fees within some reasonable range, which gives him a much broader set of right. potential participants to choose from. I'll just put well, like let, that, let, yeah. Let's just talk. So, so yeah, I mean, that's massive. That's very important when we're talking about the threat model with joint market, right? So, so the reason I bring this up, first of all, is that, I mean, people should do their own research. <laughs> Fucking people say mm. that too much in this space. Uh, people should listen to the, the, the last conversation we had with no power and open arms. But no power just like mm. is extremely frustrating when you start talking about sibling, right? Because because it, it when we're talking about actively seeking privacy when using Bitcoin, we're talking about very well funded mm. actors um, that are very secretive mm. in what they do. Um, and I'm talking about the chain analysis of the world. I'm talking about the elliptics of the world. And I know their founders listen to this show, um, uh, elliptic mm. especially. Uh, like Tom, I know you're listening. Uh, I appreciate that you're you're very upfront with what you do uh, to a degree, but everything is very secretive. And if we're talking about them and we're talking about threat modeling them in an active an attempt to actively seek privacy in Bitcoin, um, the threat model is is that they're going to try and flood our usage, right? And in and right. join market in join market, we're talking about them being multiple makers, right? They're going to be mm -hmm. multiple makers and they're going to offer very low prices, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. they're going to try and be as in as many of, of your maker rounds as possible. Do we agree on that? I don't know if we agree that it actually yeah. is happening, but it's certainly... No, I'm not be. saying it's happening. We don't know it's happening. That's it the crazy part, be, right? Yeah. yeah. Is that we're talking publicly, but they're not talking publicly about this shit. So we don't know if it's happening or not. But th if they were to attack joint market... From mm. a Sybil scenario, that's how they would do it, right? Yeah, yeah, they would do it on the maker side, yeah. Right, and that's what Fidelity Bonds is trying to solve is like is 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 so that it becomes way more expensive for them to be multiple makers. Yeah. Yes. Then then be a single maker, right? <clears throat> but yeah. But if they're a regulated entity like chain analysis, can't they just can't they just reduce that that fidelity bond risk? The idea is that that you have such a large fidelity bond that you have this massive price risk, right? You have to lock up Bitcoin, which is nice because first no, of that, all, that's not right. 
Well, so the, what, the, what... Price, the exchange rate risk doesn't come into this. What comes into this is that uh, in, in the maths of it is that uh, the the value of your fidelity bond is the, the amount of bitcoins you have squared. So for five bitcoins, right. that'll be five times five is is twenty five. If you have six, it's six times six thirty six. And that means the people have a strong incentive to lump rate. up their bitcoins into one box. Right, but right. there probably is a risk, but it doesn't come into the analysis of it. Like you, know, you can analyze proof of work to see how it works. Right, but, but this you, is, I mean, the way this is, there's a there's a strong incentive for someone to lump up their bitcoins into one bot rather than if they spread it out over many different bots, then they have a disadvantage, a strong disadvantage. Right. But if I recall um, correctly, and that would mean if they if chain analysis is doing this, they would they would have to it ends up working out they'd have to own like a hundred million dollars worth of bitcoins or something. Right, like right. So. Which is significantly less than Michael Saylor owns. They can just borrow, um, can so, just borrow on BlockFi, right? That, that's what I'm saying, right? But that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. Can they just? Can, can't they just? If they're a regulated entity, they don't care about privacy. They can borrow this shit. They can hedge it with shorts. They can do all these different things, right? And 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 the cool part about Fidelity Bonds is that it's not a hot wallet, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, right. I'm I'm correct on that. I recall correctly. Yeah. Which is awesome. That's so you right. don't have hot wallet risk. So really what you have is capital risk, right? You have you have to you have to own this much Bitcoin and Bitcoin's a volatile asset, which is kind of nice in terms of a trade-off if you're a Bitcoiner. It's not, which it's is not the just same that. trade but it's the same trade-off. It's a, it's on a high level, it's the same trade-off as trying to actively surveil lightning in that they have to force number go up if they try and they have to like literally buy Bitcoin and own Bitcoin. <laughs> right yeah so but so just to add in you're right exchange rate risk is one thing but a bigger like the the kind of way i analyzed it that, that it's a bigger cost there is opportunity cost so if they put all this money into bitcoin it means they haven't put it into some other investment that's the right. that's how you work out things in finance you know, it's called the cost of capital right but they can just if they're a regulated entity if they're chain analysis and they're valued at $2 billion and their former chief counsel is now the head of FinCEN, like right. they can just hedge that risk on CME and just take out a short in Bitcoin in the equivalent amount. And then they have no, they have no opportunity cost whatsoever, really. Yeah, fine. That, right. So they pay interest on their, the thing they're borrowing. You're right. So yeah, those short positions have a cost of carry. Right, right. They but have, no, they have right, a carry they, cost. But they're making so up of, for it in their like 200,000, 400,000 fees that they're charging uh, all these exchange. That, that's yeah. their business. Right. Right. So you're right. The kind of stepping back a second, this all this works if um, if people all this works in the sense that it costs a lot of money to attack it. So if the attacker does already have money, then it won't work. So you're right about that. It's the same with Bitcoin mining. If someone spends loads of money on miners, then they can do a 51 percent attack. Right, but with mining, it's a little bit different because mining you have like that? with mining you have like physical you have to get physical chips. Which right now, by the way, there's a massive shortage, which is why we haven't seen right. difficulty go up with price. Uh, like you can't get ASICs right now, and then you actually have to like plug them into to power. You know, you have to actually have power wherever you're located. Um, if buying a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin on the open market. And then staking it is not that. It, I mean, it's difficult for us, but it's it's not that difficult for uh, a a company that's valued at two billion dollars that just raised a hundred million dollars like two weeks ago. Mm. 
my intuition about this is, is, is like I have two comments on it. I mean, it's first of all, it's first of all, it's good analysis both from both of you, but but the we very glibly nowadays are talking about hundred million dollar figures. Right. And, uh, maybe when 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 Chris first started writing a few Python to create Join Market, we weren't <laughs> thinking about hundred million dollar attackers on our system. Uh, and the second comment is like I have got this strong intuition, <clears throat> which may turn out to be totally wrong, that the people who do this kind of an analytical work are going to be very leery about committing ongens to these kind of sibling attacks. I, I, it just says a little, little anecdote, and I don't think it's real, but it gives you a kind of flavor of it, is that in late 2016, when we were experiencing this kind of, a, a different kind of sibling attack, we might call it a snooping attack on join market, where uh, a bunch of people were coming along as, as takers, not makers, coming along as takers, starting the negotiation of coin joins and then stopping in order to try to collect UTXO information from makers. Right. When, when we implemented a defense against that, which basically consisted of a kind of a souped up commitment that forced takers to, at some point in the negotiation, reveal their own UTXOs and reveal that they'd never been used before for this kind of commitment. It basically meant that if somebody wanted to continue doing that attack, they would have had to keep revealing new UTXOs to us, like in the thousands. Uh, and I, I, I'm guessing that the, the reason they stopped is not because it costs much, but because they just that's just not a thing you want to do as an attack. Now, maybe if you're chain analysis, you A, are prepared to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on this, and B, are prepared uh, to reveal like on-chain UTXOs to, that you're doing this attack. But I suspect probably they're not prepared to do that. Just the suspicion. Yeah, I, I, it might be right, but they they could turn around and they might do it. Like my kind yeah. of point of view is, um, you know that old saying, "If you want peace, prepare for war." That I'd imagine what to do in a in like the worst possible situation. Right. Okay, we, we should assume worst it, case but, scenarios, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah, mm. but I, I well, think there's a strong there's still a strong yeah. analogy between Bitcoin mining and how if you have a lot of money, you can attack Bitcoin. And these fidelity bonds, mm. where if you have a lot of money, you could attack join markets. And uh, if, right. if your attacker just has loads of money, there's nothing really you can do. I mean, I think at scale, we can defend against it just because, you know, Bitcoin will increase in value so much so that it gets cost prohibitive. Um, but in the short term, I mean, there's, there's a massive advantage. If, if, if there is a, a, chain, a chain surveillance firm, it's important we call them what they are. Um, if mm, there's a yeah. surveillance firm, a very competitive industry, arguably the two industries, the three industries in Bitcoin, sub industries <laughs> in Bitcoin that make the most money are the regulated exchanges, completely captured, uh, the chain surveillance companies, mm. completely captured by design. They capture people. And then mm. um, and then these fucking lending services uh, that are offering <laughs> you six percent for custody of your coins and, and you're never going to get those coins back out presumably. Um, those are the three most valuable tranches in, in Bitcoin land. Um, if, if you're talking about, I'm, I'm a regulated institution, or I'm the IRS, or I'm the DEA, or I'm the CIA, and I'm trying to decide who I give the $15 million contract to, um, the firm, the, the surveillance firm that is unwinding join market, compared to the firm that isn't unwinding joint market is way more valuable from a subscription point of view. Um, One interesting right? thing of, of that point is that if two firms at once try to attack joint market, yeah. then they stop each other from working. Right. So if you had an American mm -hmm. firm and a Chinese firm both doing this civil attack, they, they'll they be half the, the 
coin join makers at every point. Right. Yeah, we so want to encourage to as many of them to attack as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so America and China yeah. and Russia and North Korea or whatever, yeah. they all need to agree to like together do a civil attack, which might be possible, mm. but it's also maybe that geographical yeah. arbitrage could also help us. And notice how the kind of openness of this kind of system works in its favor here. The fact that we, by design, we don't have any like identification of users and we don't have any centrally controlling entities. So it's very amorphous. I often try to tell, uh, like to tell people, which I have no idea if it's true or not, is like there could be another joint market <laughs> trading, trading pit out there that nobody knows about or that some people know about and I don't. Um, the, the nature of open source software is kind of really helpful in this uh, and, and, and just just generally using Tor and just not using it. But of course, by the, the flip point is exactly why, why we have so much difficulty in having to come up with very complicated or sophisticated uh, defenses against things like Sybil is for the same reason that we, we explicitly reject the concept entity in the system. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so that, that was very awesome. That was a great discussion, guys. Um, I don't know if that discussion has happened publicly before. I don't think so. Um, it happened on IRC, I think. So, so yeah, I IRC, all the good ones happen <laughs> on IRC. Uh, so I, Everything I, uh, IRC. <laughs> I, um, I mean, the, the reason I, I, I keep harping on it is because specifically chain analysis has gotten, they've, they, the, the company chain analysis, the surveillance company chain analysis has gotten, uh, is, is by far the largest in the space. They're the elephant in the room. Followed second, maybe I, we, we got 6102 in the comments, by Coinbase, who has their own uh, chain technology now, their chain surveillance firm within Coinbase, like their own tool within Coinbase. And, and, and presumably Coinbase itself is holding over 15, 1.5 million Bitcoin. Uh, because because we know they have about 900 big 900,000 bitcoin of customer funds uh in proper coinbase and then coinbase custody at least has gbtc uh which is like another 800 uh thousand coins uh so, so we know that they're at least holding uh about one and a half and like the sailors of the world and stuff are all going to coinbase custody so they they are holding a, a ton of coins they have a ton of users they're going public they have their own chain surveillance so it is kind of uh, aggregating to single actors, right? And 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 as that happens, that centralization in the chain surveillance space that hurts us, as you said. Like I agree on that. Like we we actually want it'd be better if we had multiple active attackers um, when you when you start to threat model this out. But but all this said, strictly, it's I think it's it's super important. We're we're. In, hour and 50 minutes in i appreciate you guys time i think it's super important for us to 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 pull this back that if you're actively trying to use coin join trying to use bitcoin best practices you're you're strictly in a better situation than if you don't so i don't want people to be discouraged about theoretical attacks we don't know if they're attacking these things we don't know if they're sibling these things um you're you're strictly better off and you should you should use it that's part of the solution and it's very important that people use these things uh, but it's it's also very important that we openly discuss these concerns. These are the threat models. These are the the threats that we're trying to work against. Um, so with all yeah. that said, where where are we going in the future? What what do we have to look forward to as Bitcoiners? 
I think Chris Ryan. Oh, well, we already talked swap. about pay join. Coin swap at this point. And uh, this coin swap. Yeah. Let's talk about coin swap. Okay. Yeah. So, um, as as you may have seen, I've uh, I've released a version of it that works on testnet and test, and it, it doesn't have all the features, but it can do multi-hop and multi-transaction coin swaps. So they are. You could think of that as like CoinJoin, like an on-chain privacy technology, but it's it looks like a regular transaction kind of. Although right now it has a multi-sig, it has a two of two multi-sig, and um, you could someone could use that to mix their coins. Uh, now the reason I'm doing the reason I'm right now working on Fidelity bonds on Join Market is partly to improve Join Market, but also partly to kind of get used to the idea to have it sort of out there in the wild as an experiment of people actually using it to see if the Fidelity bonds idea works and if there's anything that can be improved on it. And after that's done, then I'll go back to working on CoinSwap um, to make it to carry on working and get it towards so that it works on mainnet. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, yeah, that, that's uh, that's where I am at right now. We have we have public final void um, talking about getting blacklisted off of exchanges again uh, on the chat um, and and disagreeing that you're better off using CoinJoin. Look, if, if you want to, uh, we said this earlier, but just to recap, like if, if, if you want to be a part of the surveillance economy, by all means, you know, keep it in the same address, maybe use a custodial, custodian option. I don't fucking know. Like if, if you want to practice all the best practices in terms of regulatory compliance, by all means, proceed with that. But when we're talking strictly from a privacy point of view, using these tools are, are a net benefit. I mean, you shouldn't use them thinking that they're perfect. I don't want you guys like making mistakes and assuming that you're completely anonymous. Like that'd be horrible. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. But but yeah. strictly from a privacy point of view, attempting to use these tools, using these tools is gonna is, is you're in a better privacy situation than if you don't do it otherwise. I mean, they're they're cataloging everything you do when you use these regulated institutions. They have they have your personal information. They have every financial transaction you're making. It's all getting recorded on a ledger that's going to exist forever. This ledger is going to exist forever. It's all going to be there, even if you don't fuck things up now, even if you don't realize you fuck things up now. That can come back to haunt you in ten years. Um, so back to coin swap. Um, Chris, CoinSwap is is same concept as PayJoin in terms of being a steganographic uh, strategy, right? To break heuristics. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the aim of it. The, at the end of it, it would look just like a regular transaction or a more than one regular Bitcoin transactions. So, so both both the pro and con of using CoinSwap is. Um, that on chain, the user, the the anyone looking at the chain should not be able to know it's a coin swap, right? Yeah, that's the that's the aim. Um, and and then the the if we steel man it right, the negative is is you might be accused of something that's not you're doing. That's right, but that's the same for pay join. Like you could. Right. Uh, you could have a pay. You could accept pay joins, and then someone pay joins you who got their coins from, like they stole them. You know, they're, they're theft coins, and then people come to you uh, and say, "Oh, why do you have theft coins coming to have the the, the theft coins right. were co-spent with your money in this transaction? So why are you? Does, does that mean you stole the money?" Um, it's true that any kind of privacy technology could bring heat on you, and I don't know. People just 
have to deal with it. Like in some countries, just using Bitcoin is against the law. Right. I mean, so let, let's talk that. like proper compliance bros, right? Like it doesn't have to be a theft transaction. Like <laughs> you could use CoinSwap and you can swap yeah. with someone who used CoinJoin. Or, or you can use PayJoin and they use CoinJoin and it looks like you use CoinJoin. Right? Yeah, exactly. Which is, once again, like yeah, if we go back, concept. is a bullshit negative, right? Could, could, could we, yeah, um, could I we think talk long about term, our... Oh, go on. I'm curious. Uh, I think long term, the it, one possible outcome is that the KYC Bitcoin world and the kind of privacy, uh, self-custody <laughs> Bitcoin world split off and that it will be that it won't be very common that coins go between them. Do that's we think that's like that. happening right now? Uh, I don't think it's going to go like that. I mean, but um, could I could I ask a question about CoinSwap because we've like started talking about it, and I, I think maybe yeah, the, let, the, yeah. the listeners might might want to hear more. Yeah, yeah. I would so love like, if you guys uh, just did an episode between you guys, and I just sat here quiet. <laughs> no, I just want to say like uh, so. First of all, maybe. You could. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you a question in two parts, Chris, because I know you can answer them. The first question is, what is the sure. basic idea of a coin swap? No, no need to go into great detail. But what is the basic idea of a coin swap? And the second question is, how do you address in this concept that we've just talked about of it being steganographic, like you couldn't tell it was a coin swap on chain? How do you address like the amounts of the two sides being equal? Oh right. Okay. So the the first thing of what a coin swap is, it's a way of um, it's a non-custodial privacy protocol. So how it actually works is that if there's say Alice and Bob or Alice, Bob and Charlie, uh, they send, uh, so Alice sends a coin to Bob and then Bob will send a, but a different actual Bitcoin, a different UTXO to Charlie and Charlie will send a, again, a different Bitcoin back to Alice. So what's happening? The reason it's called a coin swap is they're actually paying Bitcoins. So Alice's, Alice's coin ends up in Bob, Bob's coin ends up in Charlie, Charlie's coin ends up in Alice. And uh, the, the crucial point there is that it's non-custodial. So it's a bit like CoinJoin in that none of these users can actually lose money doing this because it uses Bitcoin smart contracts um, language. Uh, and the reason that it improves privacy is because someone who's spying on Alice will think that Alice has sent, um, will think that like they won't realize that Bob now has the coin. You're, so you're completely breaking the transaction graph. Yeah. And it's, then it's the almost like a combination was, between CoinJoin. It's, like, it's almost a combination between CoinJoin and like the custodial mixers of the past, right? Or like yeah. So you could if you I, I, to maybe say that's a bad like the custodial mixers. You could say it's a bit like the custodial mixers, except there's there'll be more than one of them, and the custodial mixers can't steal your money. Right. Hmm. Yes, good, yeah. Now, the second question was how to deal with the equal amounts. Because, of course, if Alice sends 1.2 Bitcoins, the hands to send exactly 1.2 Bitcoins or, or around that amount to Charlie and so on. And the way it deals with it is the multiple, um, the multiple transactions. So Alice won't just send 1.2 Bitcoins. She'll send maybe two or three transactions, and they will add up to 1.2. So, for example, she may send 0 0.5 plus 0 0.3 plus, uh, what's that left over? 0 0.5 again, <laughs> 0 0.4. You, you get the idea. And then, and then Bob will send a different, he'll also send 1.2, but a different combination. So he'll send 0 0.1 plus 0 0.3 plus 1 point, um, you know, you, you get the idea. And then for anyone who's looking on the blockchain, they'll never see the exact amount 1.2 Bitcoins. They'll only see these 0 0.5, 0 0.4, and so on. 
Right. And so you, do you end up with a, did you end up analyzing the kind of subset sum issue in the same way that I did with CoinJoin XT? I'm sure you remember that whole spiel. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, there is, there is a, I found a way you can, this was like two and a half years ago at this point. If you remember, <laughs> I actually messaged you on IRC and direct message way back then. Um, <laughs> and what it was is that there is a way essentially that if you assume that each block has about 3000 outputs, uh, then oh. there is a way you can make the number of possible subset sums. Or the way I've worked it out is it doesn't work on subset sum, but on false positives. So subset, right. subsets, which add up just by chance to be roughly yes. close to your your total amount. Yes. And then you can make that, yeah. it ends up, the maths ends up being that you can make that false positive rate be huge, like a million or 10 million or something. Yeah. Well, this is very analogous to the discussion about non-equal sized um, coin join inputs and outputs, right? It's the same basic mathematical problem. Um, what I found was interesting recently in the analysis yeah. of the grid chain case. You remember the grid chain case? You know the whole thing where they they uh, the yeah. was like finding where the coins went, and some of the traces in his analysis was very interesting. I found one particular transaction, and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. There's four inputs we know came from the same people. The rest of it we can't quite like extricate. And I analyzed it, and I found that the subset problem was almost in. It was there were multiple like five, six or more different solutions to the subset sum problem on that particular coin join, specifically because join in those days, but to, to a lesser extent now, has a quite unknown and quite large delta on each value because of the fees. And if the fees are unknown, you actually have quite a smearing out effect whereby there are multiple reasonable solutions to who could have been the makers and who could have been the takers in the transaction. So here's an Interesting thought. Yeah. <laughs> if if we use and we get the, the fees higher in join market, it will actually make the, the privacy better because actually the fees will be larger and more smeared out. <laughs> that's a that's, sorry, that's that was a, a nerdy point. joke. <laughs> I'll just shut up. And that also <laughs> that also applies to coin swap as well. That the adding up that the fees are included <clears throat> yeah. as well. There'll be a liquidity market makers and takers. Right. Exactly so some, right. someone on someone on the chat has said, "What if you with an FBI handler?" And reply to that. So the general question is, what if Alice coin swaps with Bob and Bob is spying on her? The way that's solved yeah. is there'll be a rooted coin swap. So Alice will coin swap with Bob, and then she'll also organize a coin swap between Bob and Charlie. And if she wants, she can do between Charlie and Dennis, like three, you know, however many makers she wants. And the coin swap yeah. goes as a route through all those. And in, then in order yeah. to unmix her coin swap, all of those three or four, however many makers would have to collude. And then you, it's a, it's essentially the same thing as in join market. That all the makers have to actually be the same person and colluding. Right. Which is where the fidelity right. bonds come in. Yeah, and then fidelity bonds would be helpful there as well. So that it's way more expensive for you to be multiple makers than a single maker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so that that that's I mean, that sounds fantastic, um, and and. From your point of view, Chris, you think this completely deprecates CoinJoin? <laughs> well, so uh, <clears throat> it may deprecate definitely only equal output CoinJoins. So PayJoin would still be used, I well, think. But what about Join Market? And, um, you think um, Join Market is completely? <laughs> well, the thing of Join Market, Join Market say, <laughs> the thing of Join Market, it's a decentralized protocol, so nobody can shut it down. Not even me. That's not what I'm saying. Um, I'm not. It, it, it will live as long as people use it. And I, so yeah, a, I guess one yeah. day people decide that coin swap is more useful and they might swap over, but I Chris, could be wrong. I'm not, asking you, I'm not asking you if you think that coin swaps 
that that I, I'm not asking you if you personally are going to shut down Join Market. That's the most right. ridiculous, <laughs> the most ridiculous, okay, idea ever. I know you can't. Uh, what I'm what I'm saying is, you believe personally right. that me as a user or the freaks that are listening to the pod, and I'm uh, and 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 you're talking about best practices that they will have no use for for Join Market. Uh, because coin swaps are 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 better and obviate the need for for coin join, right? Okay, I see. Yeah. So the word sorry, the word deprecate has a meaning in software. I know. I get what you Apologies. mean now. Um, yes, I think. Uh, in other words, do I think coin swap is better than join market? Uh, yes, owns. And the reason is that it's cheaper in minor fees and that it, they're indistinguishable, so that it's you're hiding the fact that coin swap is happening. So you don't think you don't think that that CoinSwap is a post-mix tool. You don't think CoinSwap competes with PayJoin. You think CoinSwap competes with CoinJoin? Yes, equal output CoinJoin. I think so. What do you mean by post-mix? I mean, I mean, you do CoinJoin, and then after CoinJoin, you do CoinSwap to break the transaction graph. I suppose you could do that if you wanted, but then if you do it that way. Um, then it's obvious that you use the coin join, and also you'll spend more in minor fees. But but here's the thing. So this is where the frustration comes in, right? Is because so this show, the whole point of this show is 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 that I wanted a a place where we can have actionable Bitcoin discussion, a place where we could discuss things with Bitcoiners, um, amongst Bitcoiners with a live right. audience, where we could actually talk about things. That that a Bitcoiner could go and 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 and, and do tomorrow, right? And, and like actually make their situation better, um, and rather than like yeah. pie in the sky cheerleader kind of ideas. I'm not accusing you of this, by the way, but this is very common in the podcast space, um, where like Bitcoin fixes everything, and there's like no trade-offs, and and in five years it's all going to be perfect. But like you don't have to worry about it now. You just have to listen to the podcast and here it's, it's brought to you by these sponsors. And in five years, like it's all going to work out. Yeah. Um, I wanted to show where like we could talk <laughs> about real things and like people could do those things. Um, so, so, so my 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 concern is 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 that this idea is is when we talk about in practice of people actually using Bitcoin, the number one thing when you talk about privacy is coin control, right? Where mm. did your UTXOs come from? Right. Labeling them. Uh, knowing in five years when it comes time to actually spend them where they came from um, and, and, and choosing accordingly based on that labeling coin selection. Like this is like a very active process. This is not mm -hmm. something that like grandma's ever going to yeah. figure out. She's fucked. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, and the user has to fucking deal with this. And there's like a major disconnect because first of all, the majority of Bitcoiners just are never spending Bitcoin. So they're just, putting it in cold storage they're not even thinking about it and then the privacy focused users are in their own world where they're just boycotting kyc and they're just they they just know how to use coin control and all these things so what's cool about coin join for me specifically equal output coin join is that it kind of resets the coin control it kind of resets the history of the utxo in a, in a very objective way right it like almost 
it doesn't matter if I, I you you paid me five years ago. I don't remember it was you who paid me. I take that UTXO, I put it through CoinJoin, and like I'm resetting that history. Like I forgot, I forgot what the label is. I'm resetting that history. It almost reduces the need, and I'm not. I'm trying to cover my basis with all the fucking words, but like I'm not saying that coin control is is unnecessary in that situation. I'm saying it reduces the reliance on prudent coin control and labeling if you have this ability to almost reset the history of the transaction. And in a situation where you're using coin swap, it'd be really nice if I could reset the history of the transaction before I do my swap. Does that make sense? Yeah, so if I understand right, you see the the fact that it's obvious that a coin join happened, you see it as a possible feature. Right. Like and, I'm resetting uh, the history. So, and then if so, you could say CoinSwap does not have this feature. Correct. Right. Um, probably, okay, you know, okay, I understand that point of view. Probably what will happen then is people use both. If, if people are interested in that, they'll use coin CoinJoin and CoinSwap, like depending on the situation. Right, but I want to automate that, right? Like I want the wallet to just automatically push it through CoinJoin and then do a right. coin swap and then maybe go into a, a combined lightning opening and then you pay, yeah. right? And you like put all that together. And, I, and, and this goes back to my previous topic that like why the fuck are we hiding the fact that we care about privacy? Like we don't do this with speech. Like everyone knows I'm using Signal. The point is, is that the encryption is supposed to stop people from being able to read the messages, not that they're supposed to not know that I'm using Signal. I think I think they're both right, they're both yeah. valid and valid and correct um, perspectives to have at the same time, even though they seem contradictory. That they're, they're not really contradictory because, like, when we use a steganographic technique, the advantage is that we we gain this huge anonymity set without needing to like coerce other people to do the same thing as us, uh, and with the the sort of public non-steganographic techniques, it has this advantage, as you say, that we are sort of um, publicly asserting the right as well. Um, I think at, at some level, the steganographic approach is always fundamentally better because there's always this option of selective revelation. So you talk about something like confidential transactions where you're you know, blinding amounts, you always have this auditability possibility where you could just have some key that allows you to actually assert that this really was uh, X amount of Bitcoins. And the same with any other thing like coin swap, you could always selectively reveal that you, uh, you know, you engaged in a coin swap. Um, so that's like one of them is to me more powerful than the other, but it's, it sometimes comes at a bit of a cost. Like for example, with coin swap, there's this kind of um, cross block, what I like to call cross block interactivity property, which is a bit undesirable because you, in order to enforce the smart contract, you have to consider the state before and after, you know, blocks get confirmed, which introduces, even if minor, it introduces an extra element of risk, which a, a coin join doesn't have, um, as well as the interactivity being more practically difficult, of course. Wait, can we go yeah. into that cross block? The, yeah, so that essentially means uh, you send coins into a multi-sig when you're doing a coin swap, and then you have to wait a block or two to make sure there's no reorganization, and then you complete the coin swap protocol. And uh, the, the fear there is that, for example, if there's a 51% attack or if, well, something like that, if, if, you, if your internet cuts out, then you could lose money. It's, it's quite similar to how in Lightning, you always need yeah. a watchtower, if you're familiar with that. It's, it's actually right. the same concept there. So there's that yeah. added risk, which doesn't exist in a coin join. Um, and then- No one's running watchtowers, uh, so by the way. Was... <laughs> for whatever that's no worth. One. Okay. <laughs> very few, the very thing few, is the... few, few. 
who watches the watches? The second thing about no um, <laughs> Waxwing said about interactivity, uh, from my point of view, that doesn't make much of a difference to the user. So that makes it a bit more difficult to implement. But the user yes. will still come along and just press send on their on their application, and it will right. send. So it's a thing. It's a problem for developers, but for users, I think they won't notice. But it will it will create a delay in the user experience. It won't create additional complexity for the user, as you say. It's more for the developer. Yeah. Right, but the user already has a delay because it takes ten minutes for a block to appear, or yep, even longer if true. they pay a low fee. So the I delay mean, is it, big already. It doesn't matter. If you if you do it right, if you do it right, a coin swap. Especially if you're paying someone else with a coin swap. If I'm paying Chris with a coin swap, uh, if, if you do that, if you do that in a, a UX-friendly way, that could actually be better. That could be better UX than a regular Bitcoin payment. Um, I'm not too concerned about that aspect of it. Or what about the yeah, go on. Go ahead. What What about the comparison with with just just lightning. I mean, do you see, Chris, the main the advantage of coin swap uh, architecture over just a lightning architecture is that you can deal with larger amounts, or, or is there other elements I'm not thinking about? Yeah, there's that. There's larger amounts, so that with lightning, it's inherently limited by the channel capacity, and with coin swap, you could do any amount mm. that's in the in the liquidity order book. There's also the effect that with coin swap, you I call this unilateral adoption, that you can pay anyone who has a Bitcoin address. Well, mm. with Lightning, to pay someone with Lightning, they have to accept Lightning. You have to beg them mm. a bit like with PayJoin to accept Lightning. And then the third kind of difference, there's actually a whole section where somewhere I wrote, what's the difference between CoinSwap and Lightning? Mm. The third mm. difference is that CoinSwap has these fidelity bonds, and mm. they can't really be added in Lightning. So then the Sybil resistance of CoinSwap is, is a lot higher. Wait, why can't yeah, you're, you're uh, right, Jan? Why can't they be added in Lightning? Why can't you have a fidelity? Uh, well, how how would it, like, think practically, if you want to open a open a channel with mm. someone, you, you check their, well, maybe there is a way, but yeah. um, I don't know. If you want to, imagine you open a channel, and then it says you'd rather, I'd rather open it with this one because he has a high fidelity. Oh, but, that, but, but that brings up how that you whole... can sign a message and broadcast it with mm. your public key of your node or something, mm. right? Yeah. This, now, the thing I'm asking is, would it make your roots longer? Like the person you're opening a channel to isn't mm. necessarily the person you want to pay. Yeah. You know, most yeah. people yeah. open channels with BitRefill or someone they pay very often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that yeah, I mean, BitRefill, they're not regulated, them. right? Like they don't have to deal with KYC information. <laughs> they're not a centralizing factor at all. <laughs> I think I think they might yeah. be a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm really a big fan. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say anything negative. I love BitRefill. I'm yeah. just I'm just being a little bit of a dick uh, about, <laughs> about Lightning. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean I think this is a very insightful conversation. Okay, I want to I want to I know I know we're going to run out of time eventually. I want to mention two other ideas. Although probably we should talk more about CoinSwap, but I just want to no, mention two continue. other ideas because I don't think these these get mentioned very often and, and they're both my idea, <laughs> so I want to mention them. So one of them is called CoinJoin XT. And what I, I like about CoinJoin XT is imagine the idea of a coin join, but still trying to make it kind of steganographic or maybe completely steganographic by spreading the coin join over multiple transactions instead of having one huge transaction. And the great thing is that with SegWit, you can do that all in one single negotiation Without some massive, you know, um, without some uh, massive interactive protocol, everyone can just get together, just like they do now, to arrange a coin join on Join Market or Wasabi or whatever. And instead of just arranging one big transaction, they can arrange a graph of transactions that are all connected together. And each one of them could look like an ordinary payment, 
Or if you like, it could look like a three-party or five-party coin join. And you could build these whole, this whole network of transactions all at once, and you can negotiate all the signatures up front because of SegWit's um, you know, uh, malleability fix. So consequently, we, we, we could negotiate that and then just have it so with careful like a, a arrangement of timeouts and stuff, time locks rather, we can have it so that any one party, as long as any one party wants the whole thing to go through, the whole network of transactions to go through, then it will go through. And what I like about that is that it, it, it comes back to that beautiful steganographic property, meaning that coin joins could be like embedded in the blockchain in a way that they don't look like. And I know you, you like everyone to be able to see it. And just for you, we could throw in a couple of like actually <laughs> public coin joins into the graph but like there'll be several other transactions around it that would actually be coin joins and nobody would know um i like that idea but i still haven't actually written any code <laughs> so yeah, it's a good, with mm. this now that while, mm. while talking to you guys i realized that some people actually want their their privacy transactions to be visible uh mm. from that point of view then this coin join xt which i i remember reading i mean you told me about it i read a analyzed it like a few years ago it, it maybe mm. makes a bit more sense because i originally didn't like it because i thought CoinSwap was better because it can be invisible. And there's actually yeah. a thing with CoinSwap that we're adding is it's if you have a, a CoinSwap coin, like a, a, you mm. own a coin and it came from a CoinSwap, it's not possible for you to prove, even if you wanted to, that it came from CoinSwap. So its history is completely like... Ah, so you're saying it has, has yeah. the deniability. Uh, I'm wondering if you could have a version that is to do with the way the lock is created that is actually oh no but even adaptive signature coin swaps are actually yeah fundamentally deniable by design that's a very interesting point i didn't, didn't think about it yeah 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 Fun, not even deniable that even if you want to do you cannot prove it so it's even more than deniable sorry yeah the denial uh, proof is just gone there, yeah yeah the it's, i know what you'd call it like uh the knowledge is unprovable maybe unprovable it's like OTR, where you know, given the transcript, anyone could have made yeah. that transcript. Yeah. So you just have no way yes. of, yeah, proving it. There is another term for it. Yeah, I don't I know what the term is. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Did point. Yeah, you're right. We can look it up later. Oh yeah, Coin CoinJoin XT is a good. Um, it's a nice protocol, like a kind of a fundamental privacy protocol that's worth looking at. But you at. could be, but, but it, do you see in that in that way of doing things, it's optional. Like you could go the, the the route that you like, Chris, where it's absolutely. I know it wouldn't be perfect, and it wouldn't be as good as a coin swap, but it would. You would have some contiguous subset of the entire chain of transactions, which were actually all arranged by let's say five parties together. But each one of them just looks like an ordinary payment, has nothing. Ah. There is a very yeah. important fly in, the, fly in the ointment, which is multisig, which we should have talked about before with CoinSwap. You see, the thing is, when you make multisig today, it's very distinguishable as multisig. And so in these CoinJoin XT graphs, you would have to have one uh, multisig uh, co-owned uh, output at every, at every step. And so we really do need these multisigs to be indistinguishable no, from, well, ECDSA. Yeah, no, you, you don't necessarily. Yeah, well, you see the SA two P or three P or yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, you, you could use, use, that, use that, that for because the plan is the plan for CoinSwap is to use that anyway. So you may as well use it for CoinJoin XT too. Your your idea was that it might be better to use that even if Taproot's activated, right? I seem to remember you saying that because it would inherit right, the anonymity root, set of everything. Yeah, yeah, the tap, the mm. anonymity set is bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still want to, if if I don't mind, can we just come back to the point of why would people want their privacy transactions to mm. be visible? It just Absolutely. seems a bit like 
I, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't know how, how to Chris, express Chris, it, my argument, my argument isn't that yeah. that it's it should be visible. I'm just saying like, we shouldn't be ashamed if it is visible because right. that is privacy is o- like seeking privacy historically has always been a visible task that, right. that you are actively seeking privacy. Like you, no, no one hides that they're seeking privacy in every other situation. Specifically I, I, I disagree. I disagree. Well, no, specifically, I mean, specifically uh, speech specifically speech when it comes to encryption encryption is extremely obvious it is obvious mm-hmm. that we're using when when i speak no, with no, chris no, 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 on no, dm no. using pgp jack jack and everyone at twitter knows that we're using encryption in our dms yeah but it's not always like that think about the activist in a despotic country you know this is this is where the steganography really comes in is that you do not want your local <clears throat> government official to know that you're using gpg because he will come around your house with you know with the boys so but that's in the, a, go on in a free society in a so-called free society yes it is not necessary it shouldn't it, we shouldn't just uh, immediately assume like we shouldn't immediately assume the shame card like mm-hmm. it's ridiculous mm-hmm. it's ridiculous that we should yeah. feel like we need to hide and and i'm saying this specifically as i mean and and props to both of you guys you guys have been very vocal very public even though you have way better OPSEC than I do um, about Bitcoin privacy. And why is that the case? Because you think it's important and you think that you shouldn't be ashamed to care about it, right? Yeah, I think so. I do agree with you. I'm just saying that there's that other aspect, you know, like uh, in the more the freedom fighter model, so yeah, to speak. There's the thing. If you're in a free society, why do you need Bitcoin? Right. Bitcoin works best as a way of resisting places where there's not much freedom. Right. I mean, well, what I'm saying is it's a so-called free society and it, 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 it shows their hypocrisy. It, every time, yeah. every time like a, a democratic government wants to ban encryption, it shows their hypocrisy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and same with CoinJoin, in my opinion. And, and, and I, I would go back to this idea that coin control is a very difficult process. And this idea mm-hmm. that we can provably reset the history of a coin Mm-hmm. is is a very valuable concept if we can get if, if we can if we can get western democracies at least to agree that coin join is a fundamental human right that it's it is just it's it's just law-abiding citizens trying to seek privacy best practices send bitcoin with privacy best practices that's a massive win right yeah do, do, do you see chris our, yeah. our, our perspective is something like by doing this thing publicly we at the very least we force our opponents to show their cards as being quite frankly evil in their behavior at the very least we show that and i would say that it's more yeah, than that I it's understand. also it's yeah it's also like showing that fungibility is possible and, and like making putting fungibility in in people's face like suppose somebody builds walletexplorer.com today i know that history has moved on and the only kind of technology people had ever used was like um you know coin swaps and things and nobody knew who was using coin swaps then like you couldn't go up to someone and say look 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 at this wallet explorer it's complete bullshit and i can show you why it's bullshit because look on the graph it's actually just a massive coin join and they think they're all the same person the haha wallet explorer are stupid but you couldn't really do that if we only ever use steganographic techniques because uh nobody would nobody would know anything and everyone would sort of think they i don't know maybe that's not true actually but 
interesting to think yeah about. you'd have to do it in the way that uh, i don't know you take someone's coins from their own wallet which they know yeah. belong to them and then you put it into wallet explorer and they says look you actually this coin actually belongs to some guy over there but yeah. can i just bring in something from the chat so 6102 says for coin swap to invalidate the heuristics you need many users using it for coin join to invalidate the heuristics you need just that one coin join but I think that's um, mm. I think that's not right because you can have a, this common input ownership heuristic. You could any any analyst could exclude coin joins because coin mm. joins are detectable. They could say yeah. I'm not going to do the common input ownership heuristic on this particular transaction because I can see it's a coin join. Mm. Well, that's not possible with coin swap because you can't see them. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a good point that was worth saying. But Definitely. so so Chris, like you care about protecting the privacy of yeah. users who don't care about their own privacy. And that's what CoinSwap attempts to yeah, do. Yeah, that, that's one of the motivations. But they also, uh, doing building a system that way also helps massively people who do care about privacy. They have a yeah. much bigger anonymity set. Yeah, it's just making the bigger anonymity But we do agree that uh, a stronger heuristic than the common, uh, the common input ownership heuristic is just like sending to a KYC exchange and like then they just have your KYC info. Yeah, they have all your docs. Like you just send it to BlockFi to get your six percent. Like it doesn't. Like no one's gonna be like, oh, that might be a coin swap. Hmm. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to detect. Well, this is why we the, the discussion we've been. Yeah, the, that's why the discussion we've been having recently. I remember on IRC is about blacklisting and whitelisting, right? Because it seems like the blacklisting <clears throat> techniques that we're seeing being sort of thrown out there by exchanges, like like the BlockFi example you showed earlier on are obviously kind of broken ideas fundamentally because there's always going to be hops and there's always like deniability in hops. So they're just going to move more and more towards a world where they just say, well, I want to see, you know, you, I want to see you prove the origins of these coins before you even use them or something like that. It's a horrible thought, but I, 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 that's how I see it going. Yep, that could be an outcome. You see this uh, question from Peter L. Grant asking if there could be a maker-taker model with CoinSwap where the makers have to provably have performed a coin join beforehand? In principle, that's possible. You could get the makers to send the transaction they're paying from like via the, via the communication. Um, there could be, but I think, yeah, there could be, you're right. And, and then, I, so I like... Things that useful, though. So you're 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 the 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 dream of of CoinSwap is that we get this fucking thing integrated into like every mobile wallet, every wallet, as many wallets as possible. All the good wallets should have CoinSwap yeah. implemented, and then yeah. make every transaction a CoinSwap. As many well, transactions as every, possible. At least at least uh, everyone who wants it can have it. There's no so nuance maybe. here, Chris. Every transaction. Okay. Every, every, single every, transaction every single one. Yes. No, but okay, there's sorry. a really no, but there's a really important nuance, isn't there? Because again, <laughs> it's steganographic, which means it only has to be a smallish percentage to completely fuck up yeah. the blockchain analysis. I mean, that's a really important point. It should be hammered home. Right. So what percentage? <clears throat> We're talking ten percent. You said of, earlier. Yeah. So this not? kind of fantasy I've had is that it will be a checkbox. That users do they want like a really private coin join or do they want a regular transaction they have a checkbox to prove which one they want and then they press send and it happens right i mean uh, preferably i mean it'd be nice if it was just the default but yeah it's hard for it to be the default. I, if, if you keep it in like a semi-walled garden and you're fine with semi-trusted third parties like i said like i think you could create a ux where where a coin swap could be an easier UX. I mean, I'm thinking like a, 
let's pretend Blue Wallet became super successful and they added usernames. Um, and I put in the username and then I just pay that username and that person just has it on their phone and just automatically like gets the push notification and then connects and does the swap. Hmm. Um, that could be an easier UX than scanning a QR code. But it also means that you can only pay people with that method who are also using right. Blue Wallet. So you right. lose the whole worldwide permissionless part of Bitcoin. Right, but it's, a, it's that, we're talking trade-offs. You know, it's convenience yeah, yeah. versus... Uh, and kind of, so for that, you'd have to bother all your friends. You'd say, hey, can you switch to Blue Wallet and pay you using your name? And Waxwing, where does, where does, where does Snicker fall into this? Yeah, so Snicker was a, like a, it's kind of out of left field of all these other ideas. And I'm, all that came out of was me thinking about how could you possibly do CoinJoin in a way that didn't even involve like connecting to other users on a network? I mean, it sounds kind of impossible because everyone has to sign the transaction, right? So all I could come up with is, is this idea that what you could do is basically kind of scan the blockchain, to put it crudely, and look for outputs obeying a certain pattern. And infer that the outputs, that the inputs corresponding to those outputs might be owned by the same party. They may or may not, of course. And then you could kind of basically use the key in the input, the public, the pub key in the input as an encryption key and send an encrypted proposed transaction that included that output that I just mentioned and one of your own outputs both being spent together to make a, a coin join. Uh, so I wrote like a, like a gist with a kind of proposed protocol for it. And, you know, a few people were somewhat interested and, and sort of we looked into it a bit. And uh, at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's really taken it up apart from me. And I, do, I, I kind of literally mean me, not just, not just join market or whatever. Um, uh, but I have actually like written all the code and you can actually do it in join market today. But I put heavy kind of warnings on it that you would only want to be using this on Signet or some kind of, you know, test setup. You don't really want to try and use this on mainnet. Uh, but it's all there. I mean, there's even like, a, part, well, it, it's funny that the, although all the kind of internal technicals of it are kind of interesting, that the really tricky point ends up being the kind of broadcasting of the proposal. So you imagine you're sitting there looking at the, the whole blockchain. You say, oh, this, this output looks like it could be a good candidate for me to do a coin join with it. And so you make up the transaction, but then you have to put it somewhere for this other person who you've never met, don't know who they are, don't know what part right. of the planet they live on. How are they going to find that proposal, right? Even if it's encrypted to them, so it's like secret, so that's good. But they've got to find that encrypted proposal. So I've, what I've done is I've set up like a tour hidden service and you can just post it to a simple, it's got a simple SQLite DB on the back end and you just... You can just add your proposal there, and um, and then wallets can just scan that list. Uh, and I've even added like a little proof of work. <laughs> it's quite funny. I used like Adam Back's hashcash idea in, in there, so that people can't just send millions of proposals uh, because they have to actually add some proof of work to them. And I guess the idea would be like a wallet would scan that automatically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and, what Join, Join Market can do. That yeah. The biggest trade-off being. And I mean, this is how Join Market used IRC for kind of a message board type of situation. Yeah, but. But the biggest trade-off being that your public key needs to be exposed, which in non-taproot times is you've, you've already spent from that address. But, but post-taproot, that could be extra useful, right? Yeah, it turned out that, that while that is true, it turned out that that wasn't really a big limitation on the model because if you look at a, a transaction, let's say you look at a join market transaction and you see the change output and you can figure out what the corresponding input is, there are ways where you can either guess or even completely know what the input corresponding to an output is. And since inputs publish pub keys 
in their script sigs or, or witnesses now, uh, nowadays. Uh, it didn't actually turn out to be a big limitation. But you're still but coin joining with the reused address, right? No, 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 no. That's what I'm trying to say is that imagine you just did an ordinary payment, right? Suppose, right. You, used one in, suppose you used one input and you got one output and one change. Then I, as the scanner, come along, look at either the output or the change, doesn't matter. And I know that, well, I don't know. No, that's the point, is that you, I've got a 50-50 chance that the output or the change uh, are the same owner as the input. So in that scenario, I could even just make two proposals, one in which I use the, the, the spending output and the pub key of the input, and the other one in which I use the change output, the pub key of the input. And in, in one of those two cases, I will be correct in my assumption that the UTXO is the same, has the same owner as the input had, and therefore that public key will be owned by the same person who owns that UTXO, and therefore they will be able to decrypt the proposal and sign and, and broadcast the transaction. Ah, so you use you you don't use the reused address, but you use the reused pub key. Yeah, the the first proposal was based on the idea of reused address because therefore you definitely know what the public key is. And as you say, in, ta cool. in ta it, as you say in Taproot, that removes that whole problem is entirely removed because you have the public key anyway. But yeah, it's it's a detail really. Yeah, there's a thing a thing that uh, that's worth mentioning here, which waxing mixed over. There's a cryptographic scheme where you can. Given a pub key, you can create another key pair from it that oh, the yeah, 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 owner yeah, yeah, of this yeah. pub key will know, but you can calculate. So you can use this to not reuse addresses. Yeah, so, so the idea is, is the, 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 the term that's often used is tweak, T-W-E-A-K. I'm not quite sure why. It's just addition of cryptic elliptic like curve push. points. Yeah, you just basically, you take the original um, uh, script pub key of the address and you just, or the, the, the key corresponding, and oh, sorry, the, the key of the input, which you're using, that's the, the key that you've like uh, connected to and said, right, I'm going to use this for encryption. But you can also take that key and add a random number to it times you know, the base point, and you get a new, entirely new public key that only the recipient will know the private key of. Even though you were able to construct the public key of it, uh, as the sender, the recipient will be the only one who can like access it as a private key. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, I, I didn't want to get into details, but you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's a big like, like at least for me, it was a big light bulb moment that it's a yeah. big thing that makes this whole scheme actually work. Yeah, it's, yeah, it doesn't work without that for sure. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so how do, we, do we think that like Snicker will actually be used, or is this just a well, what I like about something like this is that it almost, it's its one of those things you could just put put out there into the world and like people can find use in it or not, right? Right. Because, if like because, 10 people use it, it's like kind of a net benefit for everyone, right? Well, yeah, there's that, but I just mean the fact that there's so little like interlocking or, or dependency between the participants that uh, you don't really need to do anything, to be honest, to like get people to use it. It's not like you don't have to coordinate a bunch of people together the only thing that people have to agree on is where there's <clears throat> where there's an an onion out there, an onion service that can that's got a list that they can just query, or or they can either add items to or query, and you can have multiple of those, and you can have, make up your own one. I don't care. Uh, I mean, I've written a, a, a server; people can use that server if they want, or just use their own server. Um, <clears throat> this is what I mean. It's like it's the whole point. It was trying to disentangle the the coordination of users. That was the whole thing right. to me. In a world where there were thousands or hundreds of thousands of people using it, which is ridiculous, but if in such a world, it would be really cool because you could actually use it to make payments because there'd be like a bunch of people out there. You could like you, what you can do is sweeten the pot by making just like in Join Market an incentive where instead of just making an equal output coin join where both people get back exactly their coins. You could make it so the receiver end actually gets a little bit more, and then there'll be tons of people out there scanning 
to like make a to to, to for any snicker right. that like proposal that turns up and it might be that you could say right. i would actively do that like if i could actively yeah. just easily scan to see if, if if someone was trying to snicker with me i would do it yeah so there's there's a tool in there called snicker finder that uh, actually i should mention it because it also lets join market users using the minus j flag to the to the script it allows them to just scan the chain for join market coin joins but they can also use it to scan for snicker coin joins at the same time and i, I assume snicker, you're not yeah. i assume you're not concerned about trademark infringement here <laughs> what you mean? Uh, uh, that needs the candy. An S. No, it needs an S on the end, right? For that, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not Snickers, freaks. It's important that we, that we, <laughs> we make it clear. It's just Snickers. Yeah. I've just yeah. had a thought. So, yeah, Waxman, do you think it makes sense to combine the Snicker non-interactivity with CoinJoin mm. XT? So, using Snicker would actually produce these multi-transaction. Coin joins. Uh, the thing about possibly and yes, the, the benefit <clears> there <throat> would be. Mm. Go on. The, the advantage is then indistinguishability. It would be a snicker mm -hmm. that no one knows is a snicker. Yeah, but I think um, I was going to say is the, the only limitation on snicker, it's a big limitation, is it's currently only two-party. It can't really be more because you just want this one-way right. flow. I, I don't think you can make this one-way flow with three or four or five parties. But uh, given that limitation, you, you can still do a coin to an XT with just yeah, two people. Two-party, two yeah. Um, I don't see an obvious limit uh, problem with. Uh, I'd have to go back at the CoinJoin XT like workflow because you have yeah. to multi-sign. No, I think you have no because you have to multi-sign every step of the graph. So I don't think you can do it non-interactively. Oh, I it. see. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'd have to go no, and check. No, you could multi-sign mm. both and then. Oh, I don't know. It's tricky. Yeah, I'm not like right. Yeah. Yeah, because CoinJoin XT is like one of those protocols very similar to Lightning where the, it's entirely based on that idea that everyone signs up front by having like specific like anchor multi-sig outputs. So nothing will happen unless everyone agrees, you know, and so that involves some yeah. interactivity. Yeah, that's um, right. The, this is fantastic so far. Uh, I, I love the back and forth between you guys. Um, 61 to 2 is getting blocked. I'm reading what he's saying. Um, whereas with... Um, yes, yes, yeah, 61 to 2. I think, I think we understand what you're saying. Uh, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, 61 to 2 is saying that uh, with CoinJoin, like obviously the heuristic is visibly broken. With CoinSwap, um, they don't know if it happens, so they have no way to factor it in. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, I, I, I think we've made that clear, right? I think so. Yeah, but my, my point there was that because it's visibly broken, someone who's using the, the heuristic, they, an analyst can exclude those transactions. So it, right. it will be visibly broken, and then that makes it not broken. If you see what well, I, mean. I love when they exclude it, Chris. I love when they, <laughs> I love when they say, I love when they say right. just like all coin join, all coin joins illicit behavior because our fucking tools cannot unwind it, <laughs> and that's fantastic to me. Yeah. Um, okay. Fine. So I have, I have, I mean, look, look. I, I think it's important that we flex on these people. We can't let like the compliance bros just think like they can run this shit. <laughs> uh, the whole point of Bitcoin is. Yeah is is civil disobedience right mm -hmm. and you know i have my co-host on rabbit hole recap who he's like fucking livid at fatfa every week and shit and they <laughs> listen to the podcast that's great
but let's put that lividness on chain, you know, like let's, <laughs> let's make it clear to them on chain forever uh, that we disagree. I want to see the percentage of, of equal output coin joins go up. I don't want to, I don't want to see it sit at 2% or 3% of the chain. I want to see it go to fucking 45% of the chain. I want, I want these guys to be like, I want them to go into a meeting and be like, we have no idea what the fuck is going on. Um, and, and, and it's visible. It's obvious. Like, let's fucking do it. Um, so I have I two more mean, questions, yeah. um, that are, I think are really important. First of all, I'm curious on your guys' opinions of BISC. Uh, the people that are watching the video right now, uh, BISC is pumping. We're almost at 63 K that's the bottom. <laughs> that's the bottom price. Uh, the top price is the evil empire, the most liquid spot exchange in the world for Bitcoin is Coinbase Pro, and they're about to go public. They have a surveillance company, and they're fucking evil. They're trading at 58K. BISC is trading almost at 63K. What is, what is your opinion on BISC? Do you think BISC can scale? Do you think BISC is an important project? Do you have any critical views here? Do you uh, want to go first? Well, I, I, sure, yeah. I, I, was, I was around, I think Chris was as well, when, when Manfred first came up with this whole BitSquare thing, and... Um, he was very enthusiastic, and I think it's really good that we have those kind of, uh, like in principle, th th those things that exist that are peer-to-peer. -peer. Of course, it's always going to struggle at, at the fiat-like edge because it's at the fiat edge, and I, I'm presumably it's people often say, "Oh, there isn't enough liquidity." Well, I mean, people have trouble uh, doing any more than I guess small amounts of trade on such platforms because you know you're moving money into and out of bank accounts and it's all about the bank accounts ultimately everything else is fine i mean i've used the software myself i think it's um i mean it's obviously evolved over the years and i think it's got a lot better um i think it's i think it's good but i'm, I'm not surprised that the the volumes are low let's just say that it's because of the other oh, fiat volumes specifically are low yeah i mean if we look at the volume i mean the volumes like there there's been point there's been 30 million sats traded on on BISC today in the USD market. Um, yeah. And there's been f over 5,000 Bitcoin traded on uh, on Coinbase today. Yeah. So we're not even close. Uh, the, the, the fiat side is the concern. Obviously, it's not really, right? a like it's to be fair to them, it's not really a comparable figure, right? Because one of them is an internal database transfers going on, you know, between uh, users where the other one is transfers into and out of bank accounts right i mean i mean it's still obviously a ridiculously huge difference but i'm just saying it's not actually directly right i mean i mean on, on on that note on that note let's just quickly let's just quickly remind everyone why <clears throat> like why we're in this space in the first place let's go yeah. to you bisque there are many places to buy bitcoin they collect your personal information and jeopardize your privacy KYC is the illicit activity. BISC is open source. It does not collect user data. You keep your private keys, create or take offers to trade peer-to-peer, -peer, and keep your Bitcoin private and secure. Cool. This is a civil yeah, dispatch. We great. only do mid-rolls for open source projects. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did so you does say someone understand why is why is <laughs> this bitcoins more expensive? Are people paying ah. for private?
privacy, for example? Mm, good question. Does someone know? I mean, I, I think it's just illiquid. It's just very, there's very little liquidity. It right. goes up and down dramatically in both directions. So it's um, so sometimes so it does blow, sometimes it? trade at a discount. It, we, I mean, for the last three hours of this show, we've been trading at both a discount and a premium. If we go back and forth, it's just, oh, I it's see. Just, so it's just a oh, very okay, wide market. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, just to all the Bisque freaks out there, like if you want to create Bisque video content, like I will fucking put it on the show. <laughs> um, so if, if, yeah, that was great. That was from Pedro. Who that is video, that's freak. Good. It's good. I mean, we, we put it in like every, every two episodes, uh, the freaks get hit with that mid roll. So, nice. uh, um, and obviously they pay us nothing. Um, I think people should use BISC, but I, I do agree that, like, look, the bank accounts are, at the end of the day, always going to be an issue. Um, you, you're never going to be able to decentralize bank accounts. Um, and it, it, it is what it is. Like, always cash will be best, but I expect that cash is going to, hmm. um, cash is already getting phased out. Yep. Whether that's peers who, who, who care about convenience or whether that's governments that care about surveillance. Um, cash is getting phased out, but obviously cash is king um, when it comes to buying Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. BISC, and, and I'm saying this from a point of view, I'm a massive supporter of BISC, um, and I fucking love Wiz, um, who's one of the, the lead maintainers of BISC. Um, but... It it's it's you know it 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 is what it is the the it, it is our last gap but uh, the 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 fiat side is always going to be more difficult. Um, so I have, I mean, Chris, you have an opinion on BISC? We heard Waxwing's opinion on BISC. You have an opinion on BISC? Yeah, it's just basically the same as Waxwing's. Like great projects, and I wish it the best. And um, hopefully, its volume will go up. And uh, there is actually a point. The thing with Coinbase and these centralized exchanges, you probably have people on them who are actually day trading, like they buy and sell many times in the same day. Yeah. And I don't know if that happens with Bitsk, so that might make the the volume. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent centralized exchanges. But dude, it's it's a difference yeah. between five thousand Bitcoin. Okay, so so even <laughs> even if yeah, it's, you're right, you're right. We're not even close. But sixty one two mentioned postal money order in the United States is the most private way of doing it. Hmm. Um, I wonder, 61 and 2, if you dox yourself a little bit there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that is the best way in America. Um, BISC is uh, yeah, BISC is fantastic. My biggest issue with BISC uh, is, is that it is very obvious on chain. So I want people to realize, like, if you transact with BISC, like, if you look at that on chain, that's there mm. forever that you bought Bitcoin through BISC. So obviously, after, after you receive Bitcoin from BISC, you should put it into join market and and coin join it. But, um, and then everyone will know you coin joined it uh, yes. as well. <laughs> uh, but at least we flex on, we flex on the haters. Um, to keep in mind here, that doesn't change anything for BlockFi. BlockFi is going to block yeah. you whether or not you use BISC or whether or not you use coin join. So no one gives a shit there. So at least you're, trust, <laughs> you're like protecting yourself against your counterparty. Um, and people who are against Bitcoin privacy probably have never received Bitcoin in exchange for goods and services. Um, I mean, I got paid in Bitcoin the other day. Uh, like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want 
the company that paid me in Bitcoin uh, to know my future transactions, of course I'm going to fucking put it through CoinJoin. Like th this is a very, yeah. the, 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 these questions that we receive are from people who are not actually using Bitcoin on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I have two exactly. more questions for you guys before we wrap this up uh, and before I give you your final thoughts. Uh, do you have, do you guys have opinions on liquid? Chris? <laughs> uh, so liquid is, um, a, I suppose it's good. I've never used it myself and I suppose it's okay. There's a, I suppose the reason I've never used it is the custodial aspect, which isn't the point that it's useful for traders. And then if you're exchanging between many exchanges, you can do that. Very no, quickly that's bullshit. Privacy. That's and bullshit. The, I, I don't know. I, I told them, I told them, I, I, it, that, that's just poor marketing. I mean, lightning, okay. lightning is going to dominate between exchanges, private, like large private channels between exchanges are going to dominate. Um, they can market however they fucking they want to market. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but I mean, private, I, lightning, I, I, private lightning channels are going to dominate there. It makes more sense. Like, why are you going to trust a federation when you could do a private lightning channel? Um, and get all the benefits without any kind of you don't you don't have the custodial risk. You don't have to deal with the federation. You don't have to deal with the regular yeah. regulatory yeah, risk. You just have to deal with the other exchange that you have the private lightning channel with. And 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 public lightning could fail, but but private lightning still mm. makes a hundred percent sense. Mm. I mean, yeah, there is there right. is there is a counter argument, but there is a counter argument. I remember Adam Back sort of saying this a few times: is like, well, you, the sort of capacity issues with channels. I I tend but to agree with saying, you. Actually, I tend that to makes more you, sense for uh, P2P. That makes more sense for P2P. Like, I don't need capacity. I shouldn't have to have inbound capacity to receive a payment from you P2P. But an exchange can fucking have Bitfinex give them fucking inbound if they need to receive a payment. Yeah, but, I mean, if there's like 10 exchanges and they all want to have, you know, 100 millions worth of the ability to move 100 million between them at any one moment, then then it t tends to like magnify the amount of capacity you need to have. No, but they could root, right? You they don't have root, to have 100 yeah. million with one. They could have yeah. like yeah. two or three channels and root via them. Yeah, that's yeah true, and you I still think... need, and, and, and Liquid doesn't solve that. You still need to have the equivalent amount of Liquid Bitcoin ready to go. Yeah. And That's then you're right. just storing it in a fucking custodial federation instead of just <laughs> you and Bitfinex. Like, if I'm Bitstamp and I need to send $2 million quickly to Bitfinex, like, I'm going to have a trusted relationship with them. We're going to have a private lightning channel. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in this general concept of... Yeah, uh, makes sense. Not, but yeah. then Liquid, Liquid makes more sense to me as, like, a, we have confidential transactions on it. And and P2P, I don't need to have inbound. It's like socialized inbound. It's like as long as you're in the system, you have inbound. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, it doesn't, I don't, right, I don't yeah. think ordinary users are going to find much of a use case for it. I mean, in theory, yeah, it could be like a good privacy tool, but they already have like altcoins that do something similar. I don't know. Maybe. I, I, but, I've never really thought about it too hard. It never really struck me as something I personally want to investigate. I do like the Elements project, and I do, I do like all the tech that they've pushed forward in that, in that realm. Um, but the, the, the product itself, yeah, maybe it's just mainly aimed at businesses, and, and it's not so interesting to us. But it shouldn't be. That's my point, Waxwing. Like, 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 using the opposite, right? Yeah, you think the opposite. No, no. Mm. So, so, so if, if I'm withdrawing from an exchange, right, mm. 
and I withdraw through lightning. They know my pub key and they can whitelist me. Like they can be like, send me a, and, and, and companies are doing this. Send me a, uh, you know, a hundred sat transaction to prove that you own the lightning node. Um, and now I have your public key registered and then I'll withdraw to lightning. And then I have, I have inbound capacity restraints. Like, I don't know, like what I got to loop out, do all this bullshit that like Bosworth tells me I have to do. <laughs> I have to like fucking go to like, uh, I got to go to the liquidity market and like go pay 10% or whatever to our boy, Anthony, who's in the comments and like get my inbound liquidity with liquid. I could withdraw everything to multiple, you know, liquid addresses with confidential transactions. It doesn't show mm. up on the liquid chain. Um, and then I could swap out to proper Bitcoin or proper lightning after the fact, like there's, there's major privacy improvements. If I could withdraw via liquid, if I withdraw via lightning, I don't really get any privacy improvements. There, there's hmm. a, there's a use case for P2P. There's a use case for the average user on liquid that is not being addressed hmm. okay. really. I see what you mean. Yeah. And also it would cost possibly cost less than minor fees. Because it's a side chain, so it's sure. basically free transfers. Yeah, that might make sense, right? Like I, I would love, I, w- I would do my dollar cost average if I, if I have my auto stacking. Like this is what I'm talking about. Like you guys are like, you're on a whole different level. If I'm doing my auto stacking through, through fucking liquid, that'd be fucking fantastic. I do my auto stacking through liquid, and I swap out when I want to swap out in a private way. And then that's from a different provider. Maybe that provider is from Singapore or something. Uh, it disconnects. Yeah. It disconnects me from that KYC record. Hmm. I'm not sure. There's really. something yeah, there. The problem is no one uses it. Uh, I'm not <laughs> pretending that Liquid isn't garbage. Uh, it is fucking a mess right now. But <laughs> if, if people used it, it could be useful. It's true of a lot of things, isn't it? Yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah. With, with many things, you have to bother the other person to also use it, <laughs> like pay join and well, lightning and stuff. And... Well, anyway, freaks, you should go try Liquid. Go, go mm. try it out. Side swap. Get, download the Side Swap app and just fuck it's it. on not the, sponsored. It's go on the. It it's on Green Wallet, isn't it? I've got that one. Maybe I could have a quick look. I don't yeah, know. Green Wallet. Green Wallet has Liquid built yeah. into it, I'm and sure. uh, they have Aqua on yeah, iPhone. There's also the actual full mode. And that's a full mode, and you can. No, Chris, like, Chris, no one's going to use that. <laughs> no one's running a full liquid right, node. Fine. Okay, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to broadcast. Uh, it's probably really easy. Fairy tales. <laughs> yeah, sixty-one really to two. Yeah, yeah, sixty-one to two is in the comments. Sixty-one to two actually runs an elements node. He he hmm. says that people should peg in. Okay. <laughs> I just I just reminded me the very first time I, I I literally in my entire life have never used Bitcoin QT, but I did run Elements QT once. <laughs> it's nice. It's very clean. <laughs> Probably is now. When I did it, it was it was just pretty basic. But yeah. sixty one oh two. We know it's trivial. He's ask he's <laughs> mentioning that it's trivial to run your own. Yeah, I can, know. I can that's a cool that. part. Yeah. That's a cool part. Uh I just don't think the majority of people are gonna use it. I don't think that matters, but yes, I do agree yeah. that it is trivial. Um the last thing I wanted to bring up was, so we do have, uh, we have so far we have two coin join implementations that involve a centralized coordinator. Um, I know there's a lot of controversy about those two implementations. 
Um, I'm not really trying to dive into the controversy, but if you guys want to dive into it, I'm happy to dive into it. Um, really what I wanted to bring up was the cool part about join market is it doesn't need a centralized coordinator, but if regulators don't care about centralized coordinators and they just allow that to happen, do you, do you guys revise your thesis there? Like, do you think if we could get the advantages of a blinded centralized coordinator that uses Tor, so doesn't really know that much information, but might be regulatory uh, liable for things. Is, is there use there? Like, is, is there an advantage there to use the tools that we have available to us if regulators aren't going to attack them? I suppose the advantage is because it's centralized, it can have an income from the coin joins, and that can right. that means it can pay programmers to make the product really nice. And they're so, making uh, a lot of it, money. Like that's always the thing of closed source. And this is not hypothetical, Chris. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Like they're making a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they. I don't think. I think regulators will eventually like focus on them because it's such a it's such a centralized choke point. Why wouldn't you? Just at the stroke of a pen, you can force them to do stuff. And also, you know, they. Um, these these coordinators, as we said before, they can do a civil attack. So they can, for example, the regulator could say, "Watch for this UTXO," and if it gets um, if it gets proposed for a coin join, then you have to add your own input. Oh, hundred percent attack and find out. Or well, no, I've been I've been very yeah, so clear they, uh, to the freaks. I've been very clear to the freaks, and I think that it should be we should repeat it right now, since mm -hmm. especially since you mentioned it, is that these centralized coordinated coin joins, whether that's Wasabi or Samurai, uh, do not provide protection from the coordinator itself uh, because yeah. the civil protection is the coin join fee and that is paid to the coordinator. So the coordinator is paying mm -hmm. it to themselves. Yeah. Um, and in Wasabi, it's even worse because they actually make more money if they Sybil. Um, right. But <laughs> but I, that that is not mentioned enough. We, we mention it all the time on this show. I think it's a very important concept to mention. But when you combine that with this idea of like the custodial mixers, right, that were very popular and arguably very effective if they weren't uh, honeypots, um, mm. it's, it's not the worst scenario. Mm. Am I wrong in that regard? Yeah, I mean, if it works and if you if your enemy isn't these regulators, then it's fine. I mean, Gladstein argues, and I disagree with him, and he's my boy, but I disagree with him because we can disagree with our boys publicly, uh, that if you're not, like, as, as he's fine with Bitcoin privacy, that is, in the threat model, it trusts the U.S. government, right? And I, I'm not cool with that, <laughs> but he's fine with that. Um, and I kind of feel like coordinated coin joins kind of fall somewhere in that, that, that regard, right? Yeah, like you're kind I of, guess everyone chooses their own threat model in a sense. So, if you're cool with the government, the U.S. government, I suppose you could use those. But you're like the status quo is that everyone is just destroying themselves on chain. Yeah, right. So it's like any improvement is an improvement. Like even it, yeah, even absolutely. if it requires a honeypot, like fine, like okay, they got you, but they already got everyone else. Like what? what? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I'd never t tell people to not use Wasabi or Samurai. Like, if it's better, it's better than nothing. Right. Waxwing, you got opinion here? Uh, not, 
Not hugely. I mean, yeah, uh, I think uh, they're definitely viable models. And I do like the fact, I'm very, I'm very uh, happy with the fact that you've honed in on the, um, the weakness of the model with, the, with regard to the incentive and Sybil. But it is a fairly minor... I'm not saying it's theoretical. It's an actual weakness, but it's... It's a massive weakness. Yeah, it is real. But I, in practice, these systems... I mean, a nice thing to remember, of course, is something like Wasabi and I think also Samurai are open source and it's not like we're totally tied to one provider like we are with these centralized exchanges, right? They are actual software right. that we run. So if, people, if, if something goes wrong, people can swap to another one. Um, presumably we can have like an anonymous coordinator that just like yeah. builds reputation based on like a web of trust and, and uh, we could, yep. And the you kind of end up, you, you end up in a similar trust model as custodial mixers to be quite honest, mm -hmm. but you end up in a situation where maybe regulators won't push where, where, where custodial mixers is obvious that a regulator is going to fucking attack that, right? But let's not forget there is such a thing as Coin Shuffle Plus Plus, right? I mean, there is or Coin Shuffle generally. It's just the idea of uh, it is possible to build an perfectly peer-to-peer -peer, um, without coordinator and without anyone knowing anyone else's linkages uh, implementation. It's so you know, this is what Decred's using, right? Uh, yeah, I believe they did implement. I don't know whether with the Plus Plus or without, but I think they did implement one of that Tim Ruffing's. Uh, paper it's a very excellent paper i recommend people to read it it's a very good idea but decred like they cheat a little bit because they have they have the they have the proof of stake uh ticket system so they have oh. this like delayed time proof of stake system that they're using to incentivize huh. coin joins and 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 the delayed time is very important in terms of civil resistance they're right? using it because as they're locking up say, funds. Yeah. yeah they're using it civil resistance yeah but you actually get paid you actually get paid you you make money if you coin join in, in Decred. And 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 I do, I do remember to be when clear to on. be clear to the freaks that are listening, I believe every single asset is trending to zero in terms of Bitcoin, <laughs> um, including the Chrysler building and including Decred. I'm talking about every single asset, Apple stock, everything. Mm. Um <clears throat> but with Decred, it's very interesting because they implemented this. They have a financial incentive. You make money if you coin join. And we're actually watching, we're watching that chain go dark. Like we're watching the whole chain go into CoinJoin, which is very cool. Interesting. I, did, I didn't even know. I remember the thing about them doing the project, but that's There's cool. a bit like that altcoin Dash, if you remember. where everyone <laughs> well, Dash is garbage. Dash that's is a like... a different story, yeah. <laughs> Dash is like very shitcoin, right? Like that's like super scam. Uh, Decred is also shitcoin, but it's it's less scammy in, 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 in that... The actual there's actually an incentive. There's actually an incentive that they've designed uh, with their proof of stake, whatever. Um, that is that is providing an incentive to coin join, right? Like you make money coin joining, and the whole chain is right. is is basically going dark right now. Uh, they're, they're, the whole chain is going coin join, right? Like so, like you're you're watching you're watching a higher and higher percentage of transactions go coin join because they make money. Hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little bit about their. Uh, I've just found their link. So how is that different to Join Market, where you can make money being a maker? Uh, they make significantly more money. Right. Right. 
But, but the I think the more important, well, okay, maybe that is the more important thing. <laughs> but I think the, the other important thing is that they're using that CoinShuffle++ protocol uh, that um, really does kind of finally square off the rough edges of the <laughs> the other implementations, I think, at least in theory, because it it doesn't it is it can be implemented purely peer to peer without um without a coordinator and it's still perfectly private at least you know theoretically yeah i mean i mean it's the same concept as joy market that was the cool part about joy market to me right was that mm. you can make money providing privacy mm. uh, you we yeah. just can't make enough money yet like <laughs> well, how do we how do we make more money chris like how like you don't make it you don't make enough yeah. money off of it and so, uh, bitcoin is so greedy right it's like, up like yeah, ten thousand percent i mean i sympathize like everyone, how can i make more everyone loves money from nothing <laughs> yeah well maybe anyway, fidelity guys. bonds will improve the yield i appreciate yeah, but, both of you yeah, yeah continue go ahead yeah yeah no fidelity bonds might improve the yield that's all i I um I appreciate both of you joining. Uh, we went we've gone three hours, so you know I know time is money. <laughs> Apparently it not. <laughs> no, it is. It is, no, no, and no. I appreciate you guys. We're we're this is a charitable deduction. You can just uh, you can report this on your taxes as a charitable deduction for three hours demand, worth of your time. They're demanding six percent in the chat now. So. <laughs> <laughs> they want they want their six percent. Yeah. You're never gonna get your six percent, guys. <laughs> Uh, that it doesn't matter if you shitcoin, you will never get it. Yeah. Um, not, not without a huge joining. risk. You can get six percent by gambling. <laughs> <laughs> um, gambling on block buy. I, I do. Do you guys agree with me that we we get all this shit from the ridiculous this this idea? Like we're privacy advocates in a world where we expect Bitcoin to succeed. Right. So the goal should be that Bitcoin is going to fucking absorb everything around us. And if Bitcoin absorbs everything around us, then we should focus on trying to improve the privacy of Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. No, yeah. I'm, I'm saying from like from the perspective of shit corners, right? Like the shit coins kind of came up just now. So like from the perspective of shit coins is like we're not going to focus on a fucking privacy focused shit coin. Because no one's gonna fucking use that shit, so there's no value to to us yeah, focusing exactly. on it. No, but it's still interting to look at the the like right. the technologies they've chosen. Oh, 100 percent, hundred percent. We should look yeah. at everything they fucking do, and we should adopt the best of everything they do. Yeah. And, but like, but that should not be debatable. Um, but like, why don't I tell people go use privacy coin? Right? Mm. Mm. Is because that's counterintuitive. They're already in Bitcoin. They're already going to be in Bitcoin. Do we agree? Well, I think Am I mainly, wrong? mainly it's about like network usage, anonymity set, and 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 also some security issues as well. Because a lot of the time they trade things off to get these security like achievements or these privacy achievements. They trade off security. I mean, sorry. Right. Yeah. It's always it's usually a security trade off. Hmm. Okay. Well, with all that said, appreciate you both. All the work you've done. You guys are fucking legends. Uh, Thank you for joining uh, this discussion. I hope you come on again in the future. The whole point of dispatch is that we're going to, it's like, it's supposed to be like a global classroom. This idea that we all learn mm. together 
And that yeah. I'm going to bring you guys back. Like I want to bring you guys back year after year after year. Um, so <laughs> I hope you guys come back. Um, I appreciate all the work you've done. You guys have any last statements here um, before we conclude this discussion? No, I think I've said everything. Thanks for the kind words and for having <laughs> us on. I love on. you, Chris. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, final words? No, I'm just really tired. <laughs> We've been talking for three and a half hours nearly. <laughs> That's my final words. But thanks a lot for having yeah. us on. It was been a very interesting <laughs> conversation. And this is a really professional setup you've got here. I really like it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Um, most of it is thanks to a centralized company that is probably going to go into surveillance capitalism. So I will have to switch. Um, but thank you both for all the work you've done. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to have the you ever used Dive Mumble. Freak. What? Have you ever used Mumble? You know the voice chats. Yeah, Mumble's good. Mumble's good. Um, it can't compete with this. Like the live chat, it's so cool that we have the ride or die guys just in here participating. Um, okay. I I think it keeps us honest, you know, it like creates the don't trust verify kind of situation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where, you know, you can't accuse me of, of spending the last 40 hours on Citadel Dispatch selling FUD when you can just respond in here and just, I'll let you just fucking broadcast it out to everyone who's watching. Like they'll see what you say. You can call me. Yeah. You can say that I'm a fucking liar, and you can just put it in the fucking live chat, and it'll 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 post it. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that none of the other shows have the fucking live chat broadcast, right? Because they're not comfortable enough with it. Um, so mm. Mumble's dope. It's open source, uh, but mm. but but the yeah. the closed source shit is always good, dude. It's like fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate right. you guys. Thing helps. It's great. It's great. And we got the price and we got our names and we got all this fucking shit. It's good. Um, but I appreciate you both coming on. Everyone should go uh, try join market. They should try join in box open arms. You guys remember open arms from last week with join in box. Yep. Go try that shit. Care about your privacy, please. It's important. Um, follow Chris on Twitter. Uh, it's underdash Chris Belcher underdash. Um, Waxwing is not on Twitter. You're gonna have to go find him on Mastodon. And if you find him, you deserve it. Um, go to IRC, <laughs> like go all these things, and, and just care about your privacy. I love you both. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate all your work. Um, shout out to all the freaks. Thank you guys. Appreciate you all. Thanks. Okay. Bye. 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 I'm waiting. <laughs> oh.
Love you, freaks. Thank you for joining us. Bitcoin privacy is fucking important. Don't let the compliance bros tell you otherwise. We'll see you Thursday for Rabbit Hole Recap. We'll see you next Tuesday uh, for the for the next little dispatch. Appreciate you all. Stay humble. Stack sats. <laughs>